The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I will let my guest for this week introduce himself. Hi, guys. My name my name is Guest, and I'm here to talk a bit about You almost Azure. said it. I almost said it. <laughs> I almost said it. <laughs> so used to it. <laughs> and I'm here to talk a bit more about cloud, Azure specifically, which is the type of public cloud that I use, and a bit of gaming and Maybe a bit of SAP if anyone is interested to RP software. <laughs> Mostly nobody is. Well, you know, you introduced yourself as guest, and so let's just be clear about that. Because for some reason, I see this in the comments all the time of like, why doesn't he ever address him by his name? Isn't that weird? And it's like, no, this guest is one of the guests choosing to not say his name, right? And you're willing to talk about all the subjects we've discussed ahead of time, both offline and with patrons who submitted questions, you know, Azure, Xbox, gaming, consoles, development, all of that. But that you don't specifically want to say who you are or what company you... And it's because, I suppose, let me also say this for you as well, I su- you probably want to say the thoughts you have are your own and not your company's, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's keep it classic. It's for all the guests you do, <laughs> so I like it to keep it classic. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and whether you really need to be anonymous or not, I think to a certain extent, why not have that layer of anonymity? That's why I don't put my personal information everywhere, though I'm sure someone could find out who I am if they really wanted to. I mean, there's a lot of wackadoodles out there. Yeah, it's especially easier these days. Not just on the enterprise environment, but on the personal level to get your information out there. I actually worked with someone who, who was a security expert a few years ago, mm-hmm. and now he turned into corporate. And one of the first things he, he told me when we started talking about security is like, man, we can literally find anyone's info right now. And it's not just because of social media or anything. It's just literally, it's everywhere. You just buy like a, a goddamn list from some website, and there's a ton of information. <laughs> yeah. So... Welcome to Broken Silicon. You're actually someone that reached out to me. I am curious, like to ask guests who reach out to me, especially anonymous ones, like what what made you discover Moore's Law is dead and what made you specifically reach out? Uh, So that's interesting. So the the first time I ever found Moore's Law is not dead, I think I was discussing something on some old website. I remember it was around the time you released your video about RDNA one. That was a few few years back, I believe. Uh, Yeah, that would have been in 2019. Which video about RDNA one? There were definitely a few. Oh, I I remember it's a 5700 XT, definitely. That was the one the one card I wanted. Like like talking about it after it was coming out, or okay, okay. it was right after it was coming out. I was looking for information. Yeah, I was one of the few people. There were a lot of haters on the 5700 XT for some reason. I never understood that. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, from the consumer side, from me for gaming, I never got one because I. I mm-hmm. got a deal on a 2070, on 2070 card. 
uh, for like 200 euros, which is really cheap <laughs> on the cheap side. So I got that deal. But I know a couple yeah. of guys, friends of mine who got it. <laughs> that's really cheap. That's cheap even converted to US dollars, yeah. even back then. You know, that's what happened when, min- when cons- miners, basically casual miners, get into business mm-hmm. and they start seeing, oh, there's a drop. I guess it's time to sell. <laughs> the time to sell memes are real. <laughs> Definitely. Well, which I think they will will happen again in about it within a year oh yeah let's just so everyone so. knows let's hope so i i actually but, got but an go R- on go on yeah i actually got an R- i was gonna say i actually got it uh, rtx 380 back in december the last year of the, mm-hmm. the, the last day of the year which was before the price increase due to the tariffs <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah i somehow got one and it was just pure luck i was just refreshing the the retailers next to me website like at 5 a.m and i got one for 800 euros which is a miracle these days when you say 800 euros for a 380 so it sounds like you discovered moore's law is dead because a random youtube video was suggested to you as most people discover channels uh, that not way but really it was on our hardware on reddit okay. it was on hardware back then people were discussing the six uh, the the five the 570 and i think there was a comment where someone highlighted hey there, there's this dude with some good thoughts on it and you guys should look into him so what made you specifically reach out directly to me, though? Like, I don't know if it was the server engineer episode or was there a specific broken silicon that made you want to start, you know, giving me some of your experience working with some of the stuff we discuss on broken silicon and such? The reason I reached out was uh, it was mainly because of the server engineer. That was the episode that convinced me because there were a lot of people discussing, oh, Intel's bad, Intel stuff, you know, we should all go AMD. And then I'm like, hey, guys, <laughs> this is hard. It's kind of complicated for me because like 90% of my workloads, they're Intel only, exclusively. I can't, I can't just grab an AMD virtual machine and just start working on it. That, that, that There is no support from AMD for this because SAP has a, a deal with Intel until 2025 or 30 or whatever it is. It just keeps being renewed ever since I started working on this. <laughs> so we're exclusive. We're exclusively working on Intel. And to be honest, it's not bad. Besides the security issues, not bad. I'm kind of happy about Cascade Lake. That's what the was the last machines we kind of uh, deployed on the mm-hmm. production level. Ice Lake machines are still not available for us, the certified ones. Uh, but yeah, you know, for me, Intel equals Optane, and that's that's what I love. It's memory, and that's fast memory. You know, <laughs> and I think sometimes people get these blinders where they forget that what they want is not necessarily what other people want that it's not really a right or wrong thing all the time it's like for you for you and i've had other people on who are guests that said the same thing it's like you know basically it seems like someone thinks optane is the dumbest thing on earth or someone thinks well optane is a godsend so i guess i'm using (laughs) intel right yeah it's one or the other i think at the end of the day it depends on the type of workloads like on my company where i work at we do definitely have amd we have Epics all around, essentially Rome. That's the major deployment that we have for your average workload stuffs, you know, that people do on the cloud. But for more specific workloads like SAP and especially HANA, which is that database that we run under SAP currently, uh, it wants memory. It wants the, the the more bandwidth you got, give it to it, <laughs> you know, because especially on production environments that are set up with with uh, clusters mainly, you know, you want to give the maximum memory, and this is something we'll, we'll definitely talk about. In a, within right. The Which before we get into that, uh, the point uh, in the discussion, you know, script that we have here that I think I want to get to first is actually like, so what is your PC gaming lineage like? You can say as much or as little as you want, obviously, about where you're from. I don't think you want to say exactly where you live, but like, 
what what got you into gaming and what's your kind of history of PC gaming and how did that lead into the work you do? Uh, my first interaction with the computer was back when I was four and five. Uh, I was basically, I'm from Europe. I forgot to say, I'm mm-hmm. from Europe. So uh, we were, We can tell you're not from Alabama. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So the discussion here started with my family because uh, I wanted to try a computer. Because I had a friend of mine from school uh, back then, from the preschool, who told me, hey, yeah, we got this sweet computer at home. I'm playing Age of Empires. I'm like, what the hell is Age of Empires, man? Dude, that's what got me into PC gaming, actually, too. <laughs> but my console side also started around the same time because I, uh, I got to try a PlayStation 1 back then, the fat one. Mm-hmm. The classic one without the without the with the sticks, which is the the, the up, up and down, oh. left and right side arrows, so not even the analog sticks that came with Apex Cape, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. But yeah, that's that's how it really started. It started with Age of Empires. It went on to to Battlefield Command and Conquer, the really first Battlefield mm-hmm. 1942, which was really great. That yeah, was, Battlefield blew me in. A, I mean, uh, who wasn't blown away by Battlefield when that first came out with 1942 and Battlefield 2? Oh man, I was just discussing this a few days ago with a friend of mine who also played the battlefields but the one that really decided my fate where i'm at right now was world of warcraft back in 2005 2004 or 5 something around that time i remember skipping school and skipping being with friends to just play world of Warcraft. but that's how it really started because world of warcraft for me and that's one of the reasons i still play i still play the game is i i learned Lua scripting back then back in 2006 to do, to design some add-ons for the community because uh, we had a raid group in WoW uh, and people were like, hey man, I, I really wish we could do like uh, an add-on for this kind of stuff here to say and to yell in the game while doing role-playing and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. look into it. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it started. We threw a scripting basically. <laughs> right. It, it started with, you know, you wanted something and you're like, well, let's see if I can actually make it myself. Exactly. Right. And I'm not really a developer or programmer. I mean, I, I'm a low-level guy. I do a lot of bash mm-hmm. scripts and I use Ansible. For those who don't know, Ansible is a deployment and automation tool. Uh, that's what I do on my uh, day-to-day basis for deployments on Azure. But uh, yeah, it led me to know more about hardware and software. And that really grew on me. That's that's how I got it into today. And that's there may, there's many things I do in life that reminds me of that moment. And I think that's one of the moments that really kept with me. And I still play the game after 15 years or 16. <laughs> I lost the count at this point. <laughs> but yeah. But uh, in terms of hardware, it was also around that time where I first upgraded my computer. So we had a Parker Bell computer. I think it was part mm-hmm. of HP back then. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. But the first time I opened it up, it was because uh, the computer wouldn't start on. I think I was on Windows XP or something, but one of the RAMs fried. That's that's all I remember. One of the RAM sticks fried. So I opened it up and I was taking pictures of it with my old ass camera <laughs> and then went to reveal them to show to my friends. Hey man, my RAM is like this. And he's like, dude, that, that thing is fried. No wonder the computer doesn't start. You need a new one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where should I go? Oh, there's a cool hardware shop here nearby. So I took the computer there and I, and I told him, hey guys, I got a fried RAM stick. And he's like, oh, what is this kid all about? How does he know what is a, a fried RAM stick? <laughs> and then he went on with me... Uh, Took off the whole components of the of the motherboard with that terrible PSU that I had to switch like two times from warranty <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was always breaking, especially in summer for some reason. It was always in summer, and the guy literally just uh, stopped, started removing stuff from the computer inside, you know. And, and I was like, "Whoa, this is pretty cool." And I was like, "Hey, man, where can I learn this stuff?" And he's like, "Well, you." Kind of, this is from the books time, right? We still have internet, but not not a lot of people had internet. So the guys always said, hey, just take this book. They gave me a book about uh, components uh, and hardware. 
I don't remember the writer, but uh, that's how I started. And from there, it's, you know, I went to land houses, play Counter Strike with a lot of people back then. Uh, it was it was the weekends were like that. I would just hang out at home, play online in real tournaments, Battlefield, whatever. That's uh, and so then you went to college. You said you studied. Obviously, it's where the interest came from. But when you you actually decided to focus on what what technically did you major in i know you oh, mentioned you i, did I didn't major in anything i actually didn't went to university oh. that's an interesting story so my parents didn't want me to go to university so uh when i was around the ninth grade which is when you pick the high school uh, course that you have and here in europe we have professional ones like there is in germany mm-hmm. like you you take a specialty to to start working at your 18 when you're 18 so that's what i did and there was uh, one course that i started which was uh, 2d and 3d animation so basically the course was all about uh, making 3d models making animations on those 3d models that you made uh, do some video editing stuff we went on for three years like that and then we had to specify what we wanted so obviously i wanted gaming right so that's when i when i started to do some cool stuff in gaming uh, try out some engines uh, 3D game engine stuff like that. It went on from that in Unity and Real, and even today I sometimes pop up Unreal Engine and just do some random stuff. But I think the thing that uh, struck me most was 3D Max and uh, and Maya for the animation. That's 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 where I really started to do stuff and started to sell. Which later on I went to freelance to do that for a year or two. From there, I believe. You joined a company that works heavily, very heavily, right, with people at Microsoft on Azure, SAP, on servers. Like, And I think some people would go, so wait, is this technically Microsoft? It's like, well, when I worked at General Motors, some of the suppliers for General Motors might as well have worked at General Motors, right? You would get <laughs> lunch with these people and such, right? So so what, what can you say about like what your job is then and what your exposure is? to Microsoft and Azure is. So, right. I started my job around when I finished the course and I did some couple of uh, months or a year and so of freelancing for 3D models. That's what I did most before starting a job. And I ended up landing a, a job at a, at a consulting firm here in Europe. Mm-hmm. And that consulting firm uh, had so, was a Microsoft partner, an SAP partner, basically, uh, from all the sides, basically. And uh, what happened was that uh, how I ended up there most people must be wondering. Well, uh, a few years back, I tried to play World of Warcraft on Linux. <laughs> and that's how mm-hmm. my trip into Linux started, because I was tired of Windows Vista, basically. And that's when I started to look into Ubuntu, looking into Linux distros, looking how, how you make your own NAS at home, <laughs> which many people use these days, right? But back then, it was like a mm-hmm. mystical stuff. Nobody had it. And I had a background, I had a bit of background on servers, Windows servers and stuff like that for the community because I, I tried and ran some some servers, especially for Battlefield back then. Mm-hmm. I ran some com- some of the private servers, so you go to the to the provider back then and you rent it and uh, you learn about it, you install it yep. and stuff. So that's how I started on the server side. Linux, it was more of a thing, a personal level for me because I liked Linux. I liked the liberty and the freedom of it to do what you want, compile what you want. And I like to fix problems. That's how everybody gets gets into IT, to be honest. There are people who like to yeah. troubleshoot, basically. So fast forwarding a bit, I got into this consulting firm. And, and when I did the interview, they asked me, hey, so you're a guy who just finished uh, high school. You got this diploma on 3D and 2D animation. And I think that it has much to do with us. But we were very surprised with something 
here, which is your Linux and Windows server experience. How come someone mm -hmm. that does 3D animation ends up working with that? And I was like, well, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some guys from my group friends wanted some servers going, so I rented them and, and, so, and sold them with support a bit more expensive. That's all. I made like 10 bucks per, per server. <laughs> And that's how I got into the consulting firm. They knew they needed people with Linux experience, which is hard to come by. I mean, not these days. A lot of people come out of high school. Yeah. And, but back then, yeah, like in 2014, it was really hard, especially in Europe, where there's a lot of PC gamers, but nobody uses Linux, basically. It's a lot of Windows people, and most uh, most people just know how to troubleshoot stuff. So, so what really caught my eye um, when we started talking to each other offline was really that you were able to touch on the Xbox Series X APU and what it was originally designed for, which was something from, you know, other people beforehand, I had, well, I mean, it's, you know, public knowledge, right, that the Xbox Series X is going to be used in xCloud, that specifically, it wasn't just designed to run one high resolution instance locally, for gaming, that it was, it's literally publicly been disclosed that they wanted to be able to have it handle multiple cloud instances in 1080p. Um, well, I guess the first reader mail here, which of course people can write in these if they support us on Patreon, is from Laws, and he says, was the Xbox Series X APU originally designed to also be used for servers? Can you speak to what you've heard speaking with people at Microsoft yourself? Yeah, sure, definitely. It makes sense. So I'll give a quick example. This is an example uh, I was given by the guy who told me this. So basically, you mm -hmm. know, Google has Stadia, right? So when you start making a system on ship or uh, any type of server, you always start to think, hey, what if we pull out because there's no there's no financial gain from this or it's simply not working? You need a, a plan B. I mean, I think everybody always does that with any type of product, even on, on my job or uh, on anyone's job. Everybody also has a B plan. And I think that's mm -hmm. that's what touched mostly on the SOC, on the Xbox Series X. It's because essentially it was designed by the Azure team. I think this is public knowledge. People said this in odd chips last year. It was the I don't which, think it's repeated enough, though. Yeah, like I don't think how it's How much involved enough. the server engineers at Microsoft were. And, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... This is something that I think people have a misconception, that it was like designed for consoles, and then they also kind of brought in server people. It's like, no, from the beginning, the Xbox APU was designed maybe first for a console, but also from its inception to also be a good server chip, that a lot of the design choices, a lot of them were for server, right? Exactly. But if we look at the Microsoft team, the Azure team does a lot of stuff. I work with a lot of people from Azure, and they're all amazing. Mm -hmm. When I mean these people are internal people from Microsoft, not their partners. You know, They have a lot of support Yeah, partners. actual Azure people. Yeah. Actual engineers with actual beta programs and alpha programs that you can, if you're a partner, you can join. And these people here, they're really smart. They, and when I say smart, I don't want to say like Jim Keller type of smart, but they're really... <laughs> kind of smart people on the hardware front. That's why you have so much white paper documentation on Azure to know how to run stuff and how to deploy stuff. These people are really smart. And this engineer that I talked to, he essentially told me that the idea was xCloud all along. I mean, this this was a pipe dream. I mean, if you look at Sony and uh, the Gaikai system all along from all those mm -hmm. years back then, this is a dream. This is a goal for everybody, not just the consumer, but for the server yeah, people as well. to stream games. Exactly. And if you think about it, if you're going to make a local play console like the Xbox Series X, who better to do it than your own 
hardware team, which is actually on, on yeah. Azure, right? Because they develop racks, they develop cooling systems, they develop the whole infrastructure for data, for a data center, not just one, but cross-region data centers. And that's, uh, I think that's a big problem and a big thing that people don't think about it, is that the Azure team, it's a global team, it's a global effort. And they're not just popping up vCore CPUs into a, a rack and just putting them there. They're doing all, all kinds of stuff to make this all as compact as possible, as less power, power consumption as possible. And, you know, they work with a lot of people, not just from TSMC and other partners, but vendors like Fujitsu and Lenovo and, all, and Dell. So I think this is a global effort on all types of of support, you know, and, and the chip essentially on the Xbox Series X, if we look at it, and from the hot chips presentation, you literally see, hey, yeah. this was made for a server. I mean, these guys. Literally I mean, I think made it's it's service. painfully obvious. You know, I think there's this breakdown in the way. Let's be honest, console fanboys argue about it. They go, well, you know, why does it have this many teraflops? Why is it clocked lower? Why is the RAM organized in a segmented way? I just don't think people get it. It's because it was built to be a server chip, <laughs> and that's what it was meant to do. And it can also game quite well, but that's why it's bigger than the PS5's die. That's why some things are organized in a way that if you're talking strictly for local gaming, it isn't the most efficient way of doing it, but it can do multiple things better than the PS5 could. Oh, definitely. And, and there's a subject on the ship that I would like to discuss, which is, uh, mm -hmm. if you look at it, it has scalability possibilities. What this means is, yes. if you're a cloud guy or someone who interacts with cloud, you know there's a thing called scale-out. Uh, basically, when once you have a lot of stuff coming in, a lot of users using your system, not talking about just gaming, but everything, it's, it's just how it works. You're going to need to scale out. Like I'll give a quick example, like the Fallout game that came out last year during the pandemic when it started. Mm -hmm. It got really popular. Why? It was free on PS Plus, right, for example. And they, they got a lot of people coming in. And what they did, they scaled out. They started putting more servers. They, they started to try and maximize the most possibilities they could on the server side from to put more... To deploy more servers, deploy more load balancers to like a load balancer basically works like once a player tries to connect, it will tell you, hey, mm. where are you from? Okay, you're from Europe. Okay, so I'm going to connect you to the servers in Europe. Okay, but from the servers in Europe, which one are you going to go to? And this mm -hmm. needs scale out for the, the massive players coming in. And this is something we'll definitely touch on, so I'm not, I won't get into it. But <laughs> Literally, if you look at the ship, it's it's a ship made for scalability, and it makes sense because of XCloud. And you know, Microsoft always knows stuff ahead of the public knows, right? Like we never knew mm -hmm. that the XCloud would be so good because it is good. I tried it on the phone, mm -hmm. on the first alpha. It, it sounds like it might be the best one right now, at very least. Oh one yeah, of the best. yeah, way better. At the very least, we can say. Far better than Stadia, which is hilarious because you'd think Google would do this well, but eh, guess not. I don't know why, you know. <laughs> this is something I always get surprised by people. Like people say, oh, you know, Google is definitely going to nail it. Why? They have zero, exper zero experience on gaming. I mean, sure, they got the cloud, but, you know, there's a lot of workloads and not everybody runs server there, for, uh, game servers there, because there's a problem with, uh, with, with Google Cloud, which is the lack of tools to literally work on matchmaking AIs. But this is something mm -hmm. we'll discuss later on as well. But the, the, the thing is, when, once we look at Microsoft, the, the pictures change, right? Right. 
I mean, it, it's like when I discuss people, when I discuss with people about AWS, Azure, and Alibaba, and all the public cloud providers that are out there, who would be the most appropriate one to make uh, making the the dream reality? Definitely, would be Microsoft. They have the engineers, the money behind it. They have the expertise from the Xbox team, which a lot of people that started there are still there. To this day, and mm. some of them even migrated to the Azure platform, which sometimes some names pop off in the beta programs where I'm at. And I'm like, hey, oh. I know this guy. This guy did a presentation in your free a few years back. <laughs> I, I Again, so I guess the, the try to round it out, what I would just say is, again, like, if you're looking for, like, pure gaming, like, clock speeds are very important, you don't need as much of the compute in it, you strip that out to make the die smaller, and that's what Sony did with the PlayStation 5, but if you're going to use this for other things and you throw in all this compute, mo- a lot of that, I mean, I was actually kind of really surprised by the uh, FP features inside of <laughs> the Xbox Series X APU, and most developers aren't going to be able to use that for <laughs> anything but minuscule performance boosts, but if it comes to, like, what you said, running multiple instances, yeah. fetching multiple sets of data and running them at the same time, it's so you can do that efficiently. It's not so that you can run games more efficiently. But here's the benefit. You have to remember, Microsoft just came off of a pretty bad generation. Overall, the Xbox One didn't sell bad, but I think people forget that half of the sales were from momentum from the 360, that during the second half of the generation, it was selling very, very badly, and that they weren't sure if they'd be able to sell a lot of Xbox Series Xs. And if Sony is making PS5s. They just have to go, we assume this many people will buy it. This is how much money we have. This is how much capacity we're able to allocate with AMD at TSMC to make it. We hope they buy this much. Now, it turns out they didn't make nearly enough, even though it's the best-selling console or something in history so far. But it's like, hey, if Sony could have planned for using it for multiple things, maybe they could have commissioned making far more. And I think I think people forget that, like, the be- a major benefit of this is Microsoft can really control supply well because as long as the Series X is selling well, which it is right now, it's, of course, vastly outperformed the Xbox One. If it stops selling well, they don't have to let a bunch of consoles sit on store shelves. They can just redirect the dies to a server, right, and build a server. Yeah, then. exactly. But that's probably not their priority right now. And, and that allows them to just not waste anything, basically, that they can keep making these if they're hitting demand, if supply meets demand on their consoles, use it for something else. And I actually think that was what the plan was with the Series S as well, that if that one sold horribly, they have like a special Surface Edition that they had planned for that as well. Um, which actually, not to completely keep going on here, but Fire Squatch writes in and says, Hey, Tom, in the April Loose Ends, you mentioned the possibility of using a Series X or S APU in a Surface laptop. What has stopped Microsoft from making a Surface Book Xbox edition? I feel that it would really dominate the laptop market. Is it just because they want to sell as many consoles as possible? And at least my answer is, well, it's selling fine right now. There's no need to use it in laptops unless it wasn't selling well and they had leftover dies. But I don't, I don't know how if you would add anything onto that or if you've heard anything specifically. You've always talked to me about the Series X. Have you heard anything about the uses of the Series S? Yeah, so the Series S, I don't know much about because essentially once once we t- we started discussing the Series X with this contact I had, what he essentially told me was that, you know, look at all this crazy performance, this FP performance. You think FP, you think data, right? Sorry, you, mm-hmm. you think X, well, obviously, because of the, the Xbox brand. But 
the surface laptop is another crazy interesting conversation because if you look at the ship it has gddr6 right i mean it wouldn't be mm -hmm. the most appropriate thing for a laptop to be honest but i think and this is my opinion because i've seen this happening yeah. and i'm uh, i can i can also say that i'm I can, i'm part of some sorts of groups that discuss hardware as well around and you know <laughs> microsoft going with their own hardware and their own ships something possible if we look at google google is doing that with google silicon you know, and I think, mm. cust I think after and of the, course, uh, Apple, everyone yeah, knows I mean, Apple I don't is. want to talk about the white elephant in the room, but the thing is, if you look at Apple and you see, oh, crap, shit, these guys are doing crazy stuff with ARM. <laughs> we should we should go into it, right? Because we have Windows and ARM is going to be a big business. Yep. Not just for enterprise, which already is happening, but for the consumer, which great battery life, great performance for those on office and Outlook and Teams. No, no, no noise from the fan, you know, <laughs> because it's ARM. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the Surface Laptop. I think I think it's a great product. I I, per, I don't really like it much because of the lack of Thunderbolt. This is something uh, mm. personal taste. I know why they don't have Thunderbolt, but I don't agree with their local uh, stuff that they say about being hacked through local local usage which is really really small chance of happening you know uh, but the surface itself i think a ship would be possible because we've seen the, all these partnerships with amd and, they, and we've seen microsoft surface laptop tree and all the other products that they did we told ryzen and this recent uh, with the ryzen 4000 the series as well so uh, i'm really interested to see where the surface go from here and more from microsoft in custom hardware because i think that's 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 where they gotta put all their bucks in because everybody's going to play that google's already playing at it apple has years away from from not doing that obviously they've been doing it with the a series and the m1 is definitely mm -hmm. amazing and what i can say about this is that arm itself it's it's really developing a lot you know compared to two years ago before the pandemic <laughs> windows is running much better on arm obviously not as good as, as right a, this is clearly i think one of those long-term plans is mm -hmm. not to rush arm into windows but just slowly try to over time, make Windows run well on ARM, but yeah. not force it overnight. Yeah, and this is a subject we'll definitely touch on. But to, to, to summarize the Xbox Series X APU for well, me... Well, and Series S. Series too. X, sorry. It's, oh, my God. You have no idea what these names are confusing. Dude, you know how often I mix up the names on Broken Silicon, or almost do, but, like... Yeah, like have you heard any other uses, though? Like, has it specifically been discussed for using in laptops or... Is it not discussed as much as like what the X was? For hardware, for consumer side, it's been discussed as inspiration for what from what they can be able to achieve, all right? From the server okay. side, it's possible to happen. I know a lot of people who say, uh, I mean, but you guys in the servers is, who's DDR, DDR, DDR RAM, right? Yeah, yeah, sure we do, but uh, I'm not saying it's for me, for the professionals working for a partner on Microsoft that is going to use this ship, but they could use it internally, especially on the game services and AI, which mm -hmm. is something I think he really hit on. Uh, because if you look at the AI, how they did it in Titanfall and Forza a few years back during mm -hmm. the Xbox One generation, but this new generation brings the X Cloud, and I think this sh this chip will be adapted for a lot of service that Microsoft will definitely offer in the future. And when it comes to the amount of RAM in the Series X as well, I think people miss that the segmented memory was for two reasons. One, it runs Windows, like a version of Windows. Oh, so like having segmented memory is so they can program a game for DirectX 12, and then just try to simplify the process of compiling it then on its console. So two different you know, segments of memory works fine for that reason. But also, I, I, I do believe that the 
in the cloud for xCloud. The Series X is planned to use 12 gigabytes instead of 6 for that system memory component. And then they'll just cram, you know, four instances in 1080p into under two and a half gigabytes of VRAM each, which from their perspective, when you're streaming, you really can't tell high-risk textures that much yeah, anyways because exactly. it's compressed. And so it's like you have to remember that what they're planning to do really is 10 plus, I believe, then 12 for the server version and that they decided to just give it 16 gigabytes in the local console, which, I mean, that's its own discussion. I kind of think that was a mistake in hindsight, but then again, that would have added like 50 bucks to the cost and it was already... Uh, right now, I'm, I suspect they're pretty happy considering how much the cost of everything has gone up right now. I mean, when you're making a ship with multi, multi-purpose like the Series X, you know, for the scalability and all, and if you think about it, uh, you have to cut corners, right? And we know how they did it with Xbox One with ESRAM back then. So uh, for me, it's mm-hmm. no surprise here when I saw the design revealed of the ship and hot ships. And, uh, essentially, the hot ships presentation for me was really important, especially at yeah. that time. I wish Sony would have done something like that. I mean, I don't think I don't think the Mark Cerny presentation, which for me, I'm a very big Mark Cerny fan. It, it was halfway there. I agree. That was very hot chips-esque. There yeah. was just less of the specific silicon detail than you might expect. So Uni writes in and asks, where do we go from here as far as console gaming? With the advancement of PCs, is there really a need for a console? Well, honestly, from my opinion, as long as there are exclusive games I want to play, there's a console for me. <laughs> like the Switch and the, the, the PlayStation, for me, makes sense. In my book, I have both. Animal Crossing, for me, is just awesome. Zelda as well, you know, Super Mario. The reason Nintendo has me, it's not because of the hardware, definitely. It's because of the games. And, and, and that's what it is. Sony sells the amount of consoles they sell because of the games. And people just start preaching it to other friends that they come in as well. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how we see uh, so many single-player games being sold compared to, you know, to the last few years that a lot of people like EA who said that, oh, single-player games don't sell. Well, we saw Jedi yeah, Fallen Order. Yeah, about that. <laughs> we know all Fallen make Order good single-player games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, regarding hardware in itself... I think we're not done with consoles because uh, a lot of conversation this year, and this comes from a cloud guy. I wouldn't game from the cloud, hundred percent. You know, if I'm off for the weekend, and I need, mm. and I go into a big city, for example, and I'm like working on a project, and I need to come back, but I know I'm going to be a few days away, and my, I don't have my laptop with me or my switch. I'm like, yeah, sure, I can, I can do some gaming on the GeForce now. I actually uh, have been playing on it recently because I got it with my RTX 380 a year subscription. It's not too bad, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the latency is not too bad for single-player games, but it's impossible for, for multiplayer games. So I think we're still going to do local play for a couple of years more. And this is coming from a cloud Oh, I game. think... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, I've gotten into arguments on multiple broken silicons. I think... Local play is here forever, bar none. I will, you can call me stupid if I'm wrong, (laughs) but the way I would put it is this, no matter how, anytime internet gets better and it becomes cheaper to stream higher quality games, also getting cheaper is that, or stronger is that $500 box you call a console. It doesn't matter how good streaming gets, that $500 box is also, also going to get better and probably better faster than you can stream the same quality. You're not streaming... 4K HDR right now. Yeah. Stadia claims they are, but it looks like crap. (laughs) You know, like, so I would just say, I just think 500, as long as a console is cheap enough, it always has a place, right? And that local gaming will always be there for the hardcore due to latency reasons. 
And they're, uh, they're simply people who don't want a game on a PC. I, my colleagues also do cloud mm. work. The guys sit in front of the computer for like 8 to 10 hours a day. And the first thing they tell me, hey, man, I'm off to play Destiny on, on the PS4. <laughs> See ya. And I'm like, hey, man, why do you, why you keep playing on the PS4? You're a PC guy. Well, yeah, but I don't want to sit on the, on, on the desk. you know. And, and a lot of people link the PC to the desk, obviously. Yes, you can say, hey, you can make a PC and link it to the TV. Yeah, man, but you want to start talking about AGR and all the compatibility problems? It's OLED? You really want to run stuff like that? For example, that, that, that's two objections for me, at least. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people want that disconnection from the desk. Not everybody wants to build a well, PC. And I want to touch on that, too, because I actually think the more this has become my job where I'm constantly, I mean, this is, of course, a podcast, so they can't see it, but you can see, you can see me surrounded by all my hardware and my studio and stuff. It's like, you know, I have to admit that it is just kind of a mental wall that where I game, I sometimes want it to not feel like it's in the same spaces mm -hmm. where I work. And I think a lot of people say, oh, I like, you know, gaming on the couch. And that's why I use console. And I'm like, well, you can plug in a PC to the the TV. I think why people want to game on the couch is because the couch subconsciously they uh, they you know link to relaxing, and if they work on their LCD screens or hopefully at some point OLED screens on a desk all day, they want to feel like they're in a different headspace. And I think more people, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, that's a real thing. I still mostly game on PC. But it's definitely a real thing that when you work all day in front of LCD screens on a desk, you just want to be in a different shaped room while you're relaxing, yeah, if we're not being just, honest. And not just that. Well, I'll give it my personal opinion. I don't game a lot on PC besides World of Warcraft and Civilization. That, that's, where I, mm -hmm. what, that's what I game the most. But I have an RSI issue on my hand which I developed during all these years of playing games with the mouse. And for me, it's it's less painful to play with the controller, obviously. So usually I just want, don't want to be on the desk. When the pandemic hit, uh, my desk here at home, where I have my gaming PC with my ultra-wide and stuff, and all my my great headphones and all, uh, I started working here, and that, and that became a really big issue for me really quick. I started to think, well, you know what? I'm working and I'm starting to... To, to go to the right to the right screen, which is where I'm where I have my gaming PC, and I started browsing on the web or just doing a couple of turns on Civilization. I'm like, I have to disconnect from that, or I'm not gonna get anything done. So I bought a second mm -hmm. desk uh, from on the other <laughs> side of the house so I could work. Yeah, and that's a real thing. I know a lot of people do. It is. It's a real thing. A real it thing. sounds silly, and if you don't have the money, I understand. But there is a real thing to having a different space where you work versus where you play. Oh, definitely. But talking more in general about the hardware of consoles, I think, honestly, I really love these consoles. The, the hardware on both are just completely insane, despite people just want to discuss which one is best. For me, it's like, dude, yeah. you have two amazing consoles that are better than 90% of the PCs out there for most people, which uh, it's the reality. It's, uh, you, everybody needs to it accept is. it. Everybody needs to accept this. And honestly, for 500 uh, bucks, why wouldn't you get one of these? I mean, if all you do is game... Right. If all you do is game and there's nothing on the PC that you're exclusively playing, like a couple of people I know that got the PS5, but also have the PC for World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, man, if they put the World of Warcraft on the PS5, I'm going to stop building a PC. I'm just going go to go straight to the console, you know, because it's 500 euros. I just get a console and be done with it. I don't have to have this big ass case with two monitors. I'll just look at, hook it up to there, get a, a nice keyboard and mouse combination for the sofa and stay there. And I, I completely understand, honestly. From the hardware perspective, I think the consoles are really good, like I said. And for, it, it's, just, it's not just performance for Buck, but also it's, it's your media center. I know a lot of people recently got the PS5 because mm. uh, they, they, they pre-ordered last year and they got it. And they're like, hey, man, this is my, my, my first media center. 
um, device, you know, I don't have Chromecast, I just have an iPad and I watch movies on it. But, you know, I started looking into Netflix and Disney Plus on PS5 and this is pretty cool. They even got the remote and all, you know, that multimedia remote that we look at it and like, Ew, why, why, why would somebody buy that, right? I don't know, just use the controller, I mean. I, I don't know. To, to go back to the original question from Uni, you know, where do consoles go from here? It's like, well, each new generation, at least in Nintendo and Sony's opinion, is a new generation where they try to add new features they didn't have before and then price it so you want to buy it. And when a PS5, for example, is just $500 and a PC is $2,000, you are not going to spend just $500 to have something to run your TV, to use the new DualSense, to have a Blu-ray player, to play exclusives. It's not just for the exclusives, in my opinion. It's not just for, like, a DualSense. Like, the reason Nintendo and Sony continue to be successful is they keep making it cheap enough that it's like what you were saying. Well, it's a no-brainer to get this as well. And especially when it's like, would I get this console or would I spend, you know... $1,000 to play the same games I already can play on PC at a higher resolution, which is really a problem PC gaming is struggling with right now, I think. Although, when I say struggling, record sales. So, yeah. certainly not struggling monetarily right now. I think it depends on the person at the end of the day. Like, I had a friend of mine recently got into gaming again after all these years. Last game he played was, like, Battlefield 3. Mm. And he told me, hey, man, should I... I mean, with the with all the stock issues, I did, obviously, I I, I want to buy a, a good PC, and I have like this graphics card from my brother who gave it to me, like a, a 2060, and he's like, hey, uh, you no. should just get the the rest of the stuff and build a PC, you know. And he's like, hey man, but I need a new laptop for college because I'm going back to college, uh, and I like and like my budget is like 1.3k, and I'm like, oh man, that's gonna be hard with all the hardware and stuff, you know. Obviously, it's possible. Yeah, you already have a 2060, man, which is plenty strong enough. I have a 2060. Yeah, exactly. But well. his problem was the lack of a laptop. And I was like, hey, man, look, if you want, uh, you can get like a laptop and a console. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I wanted to play Uncharted or and wanted a new media center for my house because he, he didn't have any media center stuff nor a smart TV. So what he did was uh, he literally bought the PS5 and ended up buying a, a MacBook Air, the, the, the M1. And then he's like, hey, ha, yeah, sure, I still have the, the 2060, but I sold it. He recently sold it for 600 euros. <laughs> what a profit. <laughs> he literally he literally. Yeah, I mean, that's console. true. Then you could then sell the graphics card for that much now and then use that to actually get a decent P laptop that can play games because of how silly the desktop market uh, man, is. I, I really can't say anything because he's kind of right. You know, he, All he wanted to do, his only game he wanted to play was really Uncharted. That's, uh, that's all he wanted to play. And I was like, yeah, you can play that. Yeah, but I can play to that app you told me, the, the PlayStation Now thing. And I told him, yeah, sure, but like the new ones and stuff, what if it comes out? Well, it's a, it's a choice that he ended up doing and he's really happy about it because he has his media center his console, two-in-one, and had the laptop to go with him. He could have gone for a gaming laptop, for all we know, but the man wanted to Uncharted, so give him Uncharted if that's what he wanted. <laughs> so, let me see here. I guess to move forward then, Michael Woodward writes in and asks, why is Windows 10 desktop OS not on the Xbox consoles? I feel this would open up a lot of options for the budget gamer that can't afford to upgrade their PC. Also, it would give the Xbox a considerable advantage over the PlayStation. And I agree, by the way. Like, I thought, I was, I think, I didn't, I guess, I had some people suggest they were considering it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I was, 
before the launch, I kept going, I think they're going to do it. And it looks like they're building it like a PC. Now I know it's for servers. But it's like, why are they not allowing you to run Windows on a Series X? At the very least, maybe not next-gen games they'll have enough RAM for PC gaming. But certainly will for everything out now. I just didn't understand, like, what the heck's going on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you think why they haven't put Windows on the Xbox yet? Well, I thought about it a couple of times because, you know, it would even make sense for me. Because if you told me that tomorrow I could boot Windows or Linux in it, which we no, every, anyone would try to do it, definitely, <laughs> to try and put yeah. Linux into a Series X. But I think there's some sort of reason behind it. I don't know if it's anything with AMD and how they, they supply the chips and they have a contract which, hey, you can only do this on a gaming console with a specific uh, gaming-oriented operating system or something. Uh, or they just don't want to do it because they they don't want. But honestly, I would buy one just for the sole reason of doing it. So you don't Ash. have an answer. You, you no, have no I clue. <laughs> I honestly, I think that would be a big win for Microsoft, especially people that really wanted like a, a mid-level system, like which is what the Series X is. Yes. I think it would be a win for everybody. I would get one just to make a Nash out of it, you know? Imagine I, I being coding say, out of that. When Dan was... Uh... Before the Series X came out, my brother knew he would have to try to get a new graphics card eventually, and he was just like, honestly, or a new processors, like, honestly, if the Series X runs Windows, I may just get a Series X, and then that's my work PC and my gaming PC. Like, why the heck not? Unfortunately, that's not what happened. And, and so I guess let me specifically ask, so you haven't heard, have you ever brought that up to people at Microsoft? Like, are they planning to? Are there any plans to? Has there been literally, and I'm, I'm really am curious, any mention of it, like of Windows thoughts, on good or bad? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I usually, when I talk to my contact, I never ask him directly Windows 10 on it. But he keeps saying that the, the software team is improving. And from what I understood there uh, from the guy, I think there's some sort of issue with the manpower on the software team for Xbox. Because, look, here's the thing. The, the software team, honestly, at Microsoft, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Windows Service 2012, it's better than the 2015, okay? <laughs> This is mm. if you go onto Azure documentation and search for operating system, they literally tell you, "Hey, Windows Server is twice as big as Linux." Uh, however, if you really want to use Windows, which we think we should, uh, go for the 2012 version, please, because it's 2004, uh, the, the the last version it's isn't really good. <laughs> and, and honestly, I think there's a big problem with the Windows up uh, with the Windows team because we've seen all these call rips uh, that, that have been happening recently with the uh, with the security updates and the recent uh, stuttering, which happened to me as well. Even with an RTX 380, I had stuttering in World of Warcraft. <laughs> I started dying in World of Warcraft because of that, because of the stuttering. I couldn't move in the last second where I had to run away from a boss mechanic. So I, I honestly think there's a big problem with the Windows scheduling. Well, let, let's put it this mm. way, guys. Let's put it this way. Here's the thing. Okay. The server team, every every server team in the world doesn't have Windows Update activate, active for Citrix, either for Citrix, either for servers, on personal computers for for the staff, or even mm -hmm. or even local machines for the guys at the factories or the the logistics. Okay, on the warehouse, they're, they're, everything is tested. We have a uh, on my company, we have a a unique Windows team that tests every single update, and we're like one year behind. We're currently on the spring update from the last yep. year. <laughs> and it's because you don't want to break everything. Uh, well, you know. it doesn't even come out of the development unit that we have. Like, we have a development unit that picks the... So, basically, you pick the, the OS that Microsoft gives you, and you're like, okay, so what do you want to push to the to the local machines of your company? And we decide what we push, and the team that here, they usually say, hey, man, look, here's the problem. 
this, this, and this. And we're, we're still not in quality insurance, like in, in the insurance part before they pull to production. Like they say the team to the production, hey, production team, you can pull this update. They're like, no, man, not yet. We're still not ready. And they're working on versions from December last year. Okay. And well, you know, let me just throw in this reader mail now who's from an anonymous supporter who says, hey, Tom and guest, my question is, can you please ask your pal at Bill Gates to unfuck my Windows 10 <laughs> install as his mid-April update made Duna Terminal run like choppy garbage? Thanks both for your time. I look forward to listening to the discussion, which, again, you know, actually right before we started, it forced a Windows update, even though I told it to not run it. Luckily, I had no problems, but there's been videos that have been delayed whole days. Because of a random Windows update, oh, yeah. even when I've told it not to install Windows updates, so it's yeah, I don't know I don't know if you have any thoughts into that. It seems like I you're saying will. you just don't think their <laughs> software team isn't very good right now. Well, honestly, honestly, you know, once I think of, whenever I think about Windows, there's one thing that really scares the hell out of me, and I told this I told you this offline, which is the Alder Lake scheduler. <laughs> later this mm-hmm. year, we'll see how that goes because Lakefield didn't work as useful, didn't work as well because I have like Lakefield laptop here that I tested. I have one, and mm-hmm. honestly, I had to stop using it. <laughs> it was have you terrible. tried it recently, though? I've heard. I've heard they updated it. Yeah, yeah. The, okay. the, the the team here, the IT team, told me, "Hey, man, we need you to go through the test once again, because we usually uh, test pilot some some laptops here for the local uh, teams." Yeah. And they they ask us from for our because we have a lot of workloads that we do. We do a lot of stuff, a lot of shells. A lot of uh, mm-hmm. not big workloads, but usually office workloads and connected to Thunderbolt docs and stuff. So we try out a lot of stuff before we send this to to the new professionals that come in to work with us. And yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to try it because I heard there was a BIOS update and a Windows update to fix the schedule. But I'm I'm really worried about how they're like running on Windows. I know. So for you Linux, haven't tested it yet again, though. No, like, I haven't. You know, but yeah. I will, and I will get back to you on this. But I can tell you okay. one thing: I'm really worried about the the Windows team because every time. They, they try to patch something. It's just, it's a, well, we know how it is. You know, honestly, that, that's, that's, there's a big problem with early Series X performance. Was the state of their dev kit software? It was basically, yeah, and, and the OS was basically the same as the as the X, as the previous generation. It didn't change anything. Well, mm-hmm. it's not like the PS5. It's, it well, has the best yeah. UI as well because we all know it needs improvement, but it works and it's something different. You know, but I think there's a, a huge problem with that. Especially, I, I don't know if any of the viewers have a Surface, but if you guys have a Surface like me and we have a surface mm. book guys come on let's talk about this 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 is impossible st- my, my surface books is stored here because it's not usable every time there's a bios update something broke the something broke so like the, the last bios update broke my hinge removal thing when i press the the the, the, uh, the hinge remove i can't Jesus. remove without the intel gpu not working it's literally i can't use the laptop i bought with the intel gpu mm. i need to use the nvidia every time i try to remove it it just go white screen or blank screen, basically. And there's a lot of people on Reddit with this issue. Well, that's not a good sign for what I'm about to say, but I I think what I would say is with Alder Lake, again, I keep saying, hey, look, I'm only reporting what Intel's trying to do, which Intel's trying to do a big little architecture that works well on x86, specifically on Windows, and that's a tall order. I'm not saying they'll succeed, but I am saying that is what Intel's plan is, and... At the very least, if it does work, it's going to be because be because Intel programmed half of it for Microsoft would be my guess. Like, there's no way like that you can – I'm sure Intel's taking that driver support seriously. Oh, yeah. Is what I would say because 
the idea that they're just throwing it to Microsoft and letting them handle it. They're not going to let them do that with their new baby. And 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 and, my, and AMD had to do that with Microsoft for Epic and and Threadripper as well. Like just so everyone knows, AMD had to like really like I've heard like some pretty terse words from people at AMD about how annoyed they were working with Microsoft before Zen 2 Threadripper launched. That they were like, no, this ha- we can't launch it until it works well in Windows and you guys, God, get your act together with the drivers. I mean, if you look at the state of Threadripper now versus when it first launched on Windows, it's night and day performance differences in games. I can back this up if you want, because um, my server team mm-hmm. actually worked with the first Epic releases, and we we didn't release it on Windows. The Epic was just released for Linux machines. We just recently redeployed those older hardware machines with Epics with Epic on Windows Server 2012, and it's much better now because Windows Server 12 uh, 2012 still gets updates. Okay, guys, that's the thing uh, that you need to understand. Despite yeah. there's a new version, everybody's using the older version because it just works better, and you know. Like I said, Microsoft rec- recommends it, and you could check this in Azure documentation. Like I said, this is twice I'm saying this because it's there. Trust me. <laughs> but yeah, I don't trust it. I don't. I don't trust Microsoft. Even Azure updates uh, on the software side, on the stacks. There, there, there there's issues, you know. But there, this happens literally with every other company in the world. We have issues with that as well from our own programs. But the thing is, Microsoft consistently does this in production. And I think they got to look into their production pipeline and see what the hell is going on. Because for the enterprise, they don't do this, guys. Guys, I'm seriously, they don't do this. They they let us know ahead of time, hey, yeah. this has issues. Don't. We're not going to pull it, yeah. but we're going to commit That's it. what I hear as well, that yeah. their enterprise team is very, very, very good and doesn't screw around like this. And going back a bit on what you said about Intel, the, the helping uh, Microsoft, this is uh, this is the reality, this is true. And I think a few months back, you had someone from the laptop business on the podcast, and, mm-hmm. they, and they said that yep. Intel Someone who works helped, at one of the yeah. biggest OEMs. And they said that Intel helped design the cooling systems. And honestly, nothing. when, when I heard this for the first time on your podcast, I was like, yeah, no, no, of course. They they helped us with Optane. We didn't really knew what we were doing with Optane, to be honest. And we'll touch this later, of course. But yeah, Intel helped us. They did most of the work because we had no idea what was going on. Uh, the Azure guys didn't know as well. So they just said, hey, there's an Intel rep here. He's going to help you guys. He's a consultant. So yeah. Well, so I guess, let me see here. Where should we go next with this? I guess, yeah, let's put a pin in that. We'll come back around to like Intel versus AMD stuff. But um. Timo H. writes him, and he asks, My simple question is, after about a decade of mainstream cloud and online play, how much effort in game development do you believe as a whole is allocated towards online, not content creation, but to the design and running of said online platforms and servers in the tens of thousands of some games? Of the overall game studio staff resources and budget, in the 2000s, game development was pretty straightforward, I think, excluding constant new tech. You just make a game with some genre formula as a big project, then ship bug fixes and move on to the next project. Now games are services with constant online requirements, even regular content updates adding to the infrastructure. I mean, the 1993 Doom network code I consider an outlier. Only Rockstar Guru-level developers can implement network play <laughs> in a couple of days. Yeah, they do do that pretty quickly. And a second question, if time allows, uh, how are the economics of games shifting with this online focus as there are running costs? And people still mostly buy one-time purchases, um, microtransactions, or game purchase season passes. It's quite a big question, but I don't. How much of that can you speak to? I can actually speak to both of them because actually I, I had the opportunity to to aid some friends of mine on doing uh, some network stuff on Azure, and they knew I mm. uh, I worked as an architect and engineer for 
Azure networking and uh, not just the network part, but the deployment of virtual machines, the servers, basically. So uh, for the first part of the question, there, there's a lot of stuff here. So let's go step by step. So the first part, when back then, the servers were different, all right? You just deployed a server and you just hoped it worked. <laughs> That's the reality of it. But thankfully, the game uh, They did do that all the time on the 360 and PS3 as well. They'd be like, oh, it's launch day. Hope it doesn't crash when we launch the new yeah, game. Yeah, because, you know, there's two differences here. There's the on-premise server and there's a cloud service. So this is, these two are distant. Like the on-premise are the company who has its own data center, its own cloud team, not the cloud team, its own hardware team, its own cooling system, its own, you know, everything server. It's like a, a typical data center. And then there's the cloud data center, the public cloud, like Google, Amazon, AWS, Azure. They already have all that stuff. They already have all the engineers. So you, you only come in and you say, hey, I want to work with you guys, deploy some some servers, and uh, we'll, and we'll work with your tools at what you have. And from here, I'm going to explain a bit about Azure and games, which is essentially something... I was going to say, let's go right into that right now from this reader mail. Yeah, like, sure. how does Azure work? How do these cloud services work? I think some people think they just have a fully built PC and a rack, <laughs> and then you just, oh, I'm buying that PC. But it's actually much more customizable and oh, different yeah, than definitely. I think a lot of people realize. So please continue. So please, uh, so to, under, to explain to the people here how it works, it's simple like this. So... You create an account. Everybody can do this. Any consumer can start an account, an Azure account, and you start a subscription. In that subscription, you'll be able to pick up resources, basically. You can either do a VM, a virtual machine. Uh, you can do use some of the stuff that, uh, that Azure has, because Azure is a platform. It just doesn't deploy. It's not just like, hey, I'm going to Azure, and I'm going to go to Azure and deploy some virtual machines. No, it's, it's a platform. It's a platform, and from there, you can use all the tools that they have available for you. Like, for example, Azure for gaming is really cool, guys. And this is something I really love about Azure. Despite not working much with it, I've only worked a tiny bit of it, but I have experience with playing some service for Azure games. with gaming, you mean? Yeah. And what happens here is that they, they give you an offer of tools. They give you a bunch of tools from AI, from matchmaking, from scaling capabilities. Like, for example, you're an indie game. You just released a multiplayer-based indie game. And you're like, oh, crap, this has gone viral. What do we know about? Well, we got a scale out. Mm -hmm. So you go and talk to Microsoft and say, hey, we're new to this kind of stuff. We have one engineer and he wants to scale out all this stuff. And they come to you with documentation and talk to you and even say, hey, let's book a session, which is what I did with them because I never deployed game servers there. So I had to ask them, hey, guys, uh, this, this thing is getting a lot of people, like 500 people already playing, and I only planned it for 300 at the start, at the launch. So how am I going to do it? They're like, okay, let's book a session, and we'll discuss it. And they showed me the capabilities of scaling out. Okay, so we're going to put more servers. We're going to put some more load balancers. Load balancers uh, is, a, is a type of application within the server that allows you to uh, share the amount of players throughout the, the various servers. So it, it's literally what the, the name says. It's a load balancer. So it's going to balance mm -hmm. all the, the amount of players going through each server and uh, connect them successfully. So that they're not all put in one, on one exactly. chip or something, right? Balancing out across your entire thing, your, the, your, the entire set of hardware that you've licensed, right? Uh, well, it's not really licensed because if you think about yeah, it... Yeah, I know license was the wrong word. Yeah, you, you, you start a virtual machine. Like uh, The process is like you go to the, to the website, you start the account, you say, okay, I want to do a VM. Okay, what do you want your VM for? Well, I want databases and each, and each virtual machine 
machine in Azure, you have a you have a, a thing called sizing. Sizing means you prepare your virtual machine for what you for your needs. And they in Azure and all the other cloud providers already have a template of machines. Like okay, so we have the M series. The M series is for memory. And if you really want to do it, some memory stuff, we got some some really good ones with top 10 if you want. But they they're only ex exclusive to Intel. Okay, maybe you want some general stuff like emails and stuff. Okay, we have the D series. This is the general ones. And you start looking into it, and you're like, okay, what if I want data crunching or AI? Okay, we have some GPU mm -hmm. ones. We have MI25 from AMD, and we have Teslas, and soon appear maybe. <laughs> so you go and pick and start from there. They ask you, hey, what software do you want? Do you want a Windows server? Because you got to pay a license. Oh, no, no. Okay, Ubuntu maybe? Okay, sure. Let's go from there. And then you start doing the configurations, the networks, the DNSs. If you're starting to build a, a infrastructure with various servers, if not, you just start the server and there you go. You go off from there and you pay as you go, which is one of the, the, the subscription systems. You can pay it while you use it. And that's why we at uh, some of the IT companies, we love this server. We love this idea of paying as we go because, like, for example, guys, we, we reach the, we, the weekends. Nobody's, uses, nobody's using mm -hmm. sandboxes and develop machines, so we just stop them. We have a script that stops every virtual machine after 7 p.m. And we save money mm -hmm. there. That's one of the ways to save money with Azure. And, of course, we don't have the HR and all the people working on the data center. You're not paying for generators. You're not paying for uh, architects to design the warehouse where you put them. You don't pay for Which uh, I want to be clear about that. When, when someone goes and they're like, I'm going to use Azure, the way that this happens is they say, well, here's the type, like you say, right? We, we're going to use x86, and we're going to run it on Windows, perhaps. Mm -hmm. There's you a plan. write the yeah. code, you send it to Microsoft, and they deploy it themselves uh, no, 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 on, no, no, no. It's quite the opposite. You deploy it remotely. You deploy it. They give you the virtual machine and you do whatever you want with it. Like, I'll give you, okay. I'll give you a quick So you step. do it directly virtually. Yeah. They give you a shell and they're like, so if you have Linux, for example, you have Ubuntu. Okay, man, here's a shell. Go, go at it. Okay, want disks? Okay, add disk and you pay. Simple. All right, so you got to be And they usually about. organize these in different racks, right? They'll yeah, say, well, what yeah. specifically, it's not like, oh, this is the Azure rack and it has everything in it. It's like, oh, no, we want to run Epic because we know our code will run on Epic. Yeah. And so we're going to choose this set of processors, and then you have a rack of just all SSDs that are networked to that those processors. And you're like, yeah, we want this many SSDs from that area of the server like database. Yeah. And then we also want this much RAM, which is often stored separately in its own rack, right? And it's like we want this much of that, this much of that. As long as it's not latency intensive, they don't have to all be next to right next to each other. And then that's what you pay for, right? Exactly, but it depends. Like if you're a non-partner, they put you in a random rack. Okay, this is where the mm -hmm. exclusive club okay. comes in. Okay, like for example, okay, if you just want to stay with the normal people, you're not a partner, which you need a milestone to be a partner. This means X amount of servers, X amount of bill that you have per month. Maybe it depends. Uh, for my company, we're really too big, so. Uh, uh, at some, we, I think we already were Microsoft partners before because we have Office 365 and Active Directory and stuff. But uh, the thing is, when you start a virtual machine, they, they tell you, okay, man, where do you want this? We have these data centers in Europe. We have these data centers in the US. Here in Asia, what do you want? And you pick them to what makes more sense to you. Like, for example, just like the game servers, when you try to connect to a multiplayer game, it will literally ask... Uh, some of the games that don't have the, an API and a tool for this will ask you, hey, man, where are you from? Like, for example, uh, Apex right. Legends and some of the games. I know the games from Azure, they have, uh, like my the, the game I worked on, it has a, an API that automatically reads your your connection and says, okay, man, I'm going to pass you to the, Euro to the Northern European. 
server, and this is one of the a benefits. lot of console games still allow you yeah. to do that as well. Uh, but you, yeah, but the, the, this tool from from the Azure allows you to auto detect and distribute the player towards the mm-hmm. the region that makes most sense to him. You don't want a Japanese player playing on the Brazil, fly, yeah. on the fly, which is what what we need for the for the general consumer. You know, of course, for for us, we go and nah, nah, I want to see the best one right next to me. That's that's what I want to do. But yeah, for the general consumer, that's what it does. And this is the type of things that Azure benefits most from from the gaming stack. They have a gaming stack. They they have a matchmaking gaming stack. And when I did it for the first time, I was really surprised. I, I was asking my team like, hey guys, how do you want to do with matchmaking? Do you want to do like SM, SPMM, which is a skill based, like the the guy with the highest skill plays against the, high, mm-hmm. the other guys with highest skill, which is what happens in Call of Duty? Or do you want to do like um, uh, whatever it is, like back in the day? Okay, I'm just going to throw into into a pool of players, actually, like in Gears 2, when it didn't have any concrete matchmaking rules. And this is one of the tools that Azure gives you. And you're like, and I was like, okay, so I don't have to do matchmaking? That's perfect. I'm just going to select what we want, basically. And then you go f- to the AI. It asks you, hey, man, what do you want to do with AI? Do you want us to deploy some type of ghosts, like Forza, for example? This technology, uh, as far as I go uh, on my mind, I think that's the first time it was used. It was in Forza, at least to make sense in Azure when they debuted it. I think it comes from Forza. Not sure, but uh, I'll let someone correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, the, Azure allows you to give you all these tools, all the load balancers, matchmaking stuff. Uh, there's a lot of uh, tools that you that you can use. And when you try to make a game server, it asks you, hey, do you want a real-time multiplayer server or do you want a turn-based game server? Do you want some analytics? It has all these kind of tools, which... Uh, and it's all done. So much of it is done for you. And I mean, certainly you could write this yourself and run it yourself. Oh, but yeah, yeah. You know that Microsoft backs these things up, has redundancy, can move you between different locations if like, oh, it turns out our player base is mostly here. And this is just talking about gaming. Like the the, the data redundancy thing, I think for companies is the probably the most important thing that you know Microsoft isn't going to... F this up. And I can say working for the previous company I worked for after General Motors, which is a supplier to them, that they ran their own servers and they had so many freaking issues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That it you're are you going to run servers, I mean, as well. You know, I I, I would even go as far as like let me ask you, like, what is the point of an on-site server anymore? I know that was something we were going to talk about. Yeah. yeah, there's a big point, actually. I'll give you an example. At my company, we have barcode scanning at the warehouses where the trucks come in and they remove the packages from there. And they have to be mm-hmm. scanned to go into uh, processing, uh, for example, for coffees and materials and stuff. And so for us, we can put it on the cloud. First of all, it's a place where the cloud, the closest to it, it's eight, eight, eight ATMS around that yeah so that's a lot that's a lot of latency i know for people at home they're like yeah but i play with atms yeah but you're not running a business <laughs> right you're not making money on the fly so for us we need the the barcode scanning to be done in less than a second this is critical we have an automatic machine and so we had to build an on-premise with a vendor in this case lenovo we work with lenovo and we deployed a couple of machines there with optane and what it does, we have an automatic bar scanning machine already. It's not a person anymore with a PDA. It's a really a machine. Mm-hmm. The guys come in with the with the trucks, and there's an automatic machine that takes the packages out, and the packages start passing through the bar scan. And they beep, 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 and all of these have to be done in under one second. If it hits the one-second threshold, I'm alerted on my email. I get an, an email saying, hey, we're getting a one-second delay. This means that instead of doing 500 packages a minute, we're doing 350, mm-hmm. and business doesn't like that. <laughs> We tried with cloud, and uh, it was three seconds. 
per each package. Right. So it, when it comes to latency intensive stuff, that's important. And then also I would say like, well, if it's sensitive data and you only trust yourselves, I mean, I suppose you could argue that. Although I know that these cloud providers have ways that they encrypt the data so they can't even look at your own data. So I don't know that that, I mean, how much of that is a concern, the security aspect for having your own server? So this is always a big discussion. So this is actually uh, one of the, the most, uh, uh, que- this is one of the big questions we get from new people who never worked on cloud. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, I'm joining the company. So what I'm going to do? Okay, you're going to be a cloud, uh, cloud in- uh, junior cloud engineer. Okay, but you know, I've read throughout the web that public clouds have a lot of information and it can be stolen. Well, first of all, Microsoft wouldn't want that because <laughs> that means mm-hmm. the, pers- the, the company would move out of the service, first of all. And second of all, the analytics that they have on the system, it's up to you. It's not like on Windows where they tell you, oh, so you want telemetry, uh, telemetry out? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, it's still there, <laughs> yeah. obviously. It's <laughs> <laughs> just not in such a big way as before. But on the enterprise, they treat us as like kings, like I usually say. You know, They're like, okay, so what do you want to run on this server? Okay, you want to do software? Okay, so can we run some analytics for hardware? And I'm like, "Mm, from hardware, what does he want to read? And some of my colleagues told me once I started, well, this is for the Azure nodes for one, for one, for to get some signs that uh, there's SSD wear or some SSD issue. Uh, And I was like, okay, but shouldn't they get some additional data? No, this is only reading from the BIOS, from the, the board at the data center. It's not reading anything off the disk. It's completely prohibited to read anything off the disks. Uh, I, I think it's sort of encrypted. I'm not sure, but I had some encryption issues with some of my data. It wasn't falling from one server to another. So I think there's a, a kind of layer of security. But honestly, this, this has never been a topic that we discuss within a, the company, you know, especially as a Microsoft partner. If you're a Microsoft partner, you're, you're a bit treated differently. Like I told you, you have different sp- places in the rack where you get. Uh, this isn't. This isn't public knowledge per se, nor is it, uh, it's not discussed. They don't tell you that you're in a special rack, but you get special treatment. You definitely see it. Like last week, I had a node failure on one of the SSDs. Well, so like, what would you, would you say though? Would you say security is a major concern or is that really something you don't need to worry about when there's end-to-end encryption and they don't even control the keys mm-hmm. to access the info in it? Do you, do you trust that that's, because I've seen like the, the lengths, Specifically, I've looked at the links like uh, AWS and Google go through. They have like rotating private keys they don't have access to. Seems like there's a lot of effort they at least say they go through so they can access your data. Well, this you this exists. Them. Like, um, for example, when we have our own private keys, they don't have it. Like, if you lose it, you lose right. it. Right. That's why yep. Azure Key Vault. That's a choice a big, you can make. Yeah, yeah. That's why they have a tool called Key Vault. It's a, it's like KeyPass for those who don't know what KeyPass is. It's a, a storage container for your password, just like LastPass, but for enterprise basically. But it doesn't have a search box for some reason <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> but yeah, and you put there the stuff, and they can help you if you delete it. We had one situation where you can do a recovery point uh, for the Key Vault. Like someone, a junior guy, deleted one of our Key Vaults, and when you add a recovery point from it but when we asked Microsoft like we asked them hey guys we lost the recovery point what can we do well we can help you man that's on you we don't okay. we don't save this we don't save it and, and so you make- kind of think that is kind of a newbie question then that is like the, you don't think security really is an issue as long as you control your private keys uh, yes and no because at the end of the day it depends on your infrastructure like for example my infrastructure security is the biggest reason I'm not the security head I'm not the head of security mm. in my company, but the head of security is like, dude, you can't do anything. Okay, so you do SAP or you do Epic workloads? Or, or for what? Ah, for emails. Okay, then you only have access to emails. 
And this starts at the at the professional level, at the personal level. And from there you go up. And the more uh, uh, like it's a public cloud at the end of the day. So if you if you want to make sure that the security is your top most uh, requested thing at your company, you're not going to do it on a public cloud, obviously, right? Like for government mm-hmm. contracts, you don't run it on public. So cloud. you still do think then that there's still a reason to have security concerns, though, just not unless it's like really, really, really sensitive stuff, and you have the money. Yeah, and like they give you the tools. Like if you have a security expert, an Azure ex- security expert, and you have networking guys. Honestly, my biggest problem with security is the way from uh, it's people from the internet being able to connect to my servers you know that's the biggest security issue I have with my servers when I'm doing an architect when I'm doing an architecture for the servers the first thing I come up is okay guys I talk to the network team and I tell them hey guys only these three servers connect to this one there's only communication within the internal network not external the public internet okay what if you want to do google search there's no google search on this machine so there's no access to the external internet. And to connect to our servers on Azure, you need to use a VPN, obviously. That's the first line of defense. And, and there's many others. I can tell you that 99.9% of my, uh, of my company doesn't work, uh, doesn't, uh, it's not doesn't work, doesn't actually connect to anything directly. And there's app gateways that uh, use masks to hide the, the real URLs and the, the real IPs. So you can never know the host names or the IPs of the said machines. Right. Let's just admit it, nobody wants to pay full price for those Windows 10 professional keys. But shopping for deals on eBay can be a risky process that wastes your time, which is why you should simply just go to cdkoffers.com. cdkoffers.com offers an assortment of Windows software products, Steam games, Origin games, Uplay games, and even games on Xbox and PlayStation. Help out Moore's Law's Dead and save yourself some money by using offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows software and DieShrink for three percent off everything on the website use cdk offers today all right so moving forward jessica writes in and says how would you say azure or microsoft is differentiating itself in cloud against aws google etc and beyond uh its history with enterprise specifically in cloud gaming i'm curious what does x cloud do differently compared to stadia and luna as far as you can tell Hmm. Okay, so this is a two two step question. So for the, for the first step, for the first step, I think Azure uh, allows the companies that want certain tools to use them and not have to go and create themselves or use open source ones because they already, mm-hmm. uh, like I said before, there's for gaming. For example, the ones I said for gaming, it's uh, there there is for uh, every type of, uh, of enterprise workload out there. There's tools. They give you Power BI. They give you Azure Data Factory, which is for internal teams to run some data pipelines throughout the servers and interfaces. This is more uh, interfaces kind of conversation with uh, with that app. But for example, for gaming, it's like I said, they give you APIs for, for a lot of stuff. So you, you already already have your work done like like when i said when i did that game server for that mm-hmm. game i i didn't do anything besides deploying a virtual machine and pointing it towards the game my my uh, the the game team only said okay well, hey man everything is working even leaderboards the only thing we need to do is like well, do you want the leaderboard to be like skill points based like uh, what do you put on the column there you know 
and mm-hmm. and that's they give you the tools for a lot of stuff and makes the job easier and i think more so there's more, much 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 more assistance and more I'm, i don't know if this is the way to put it but like detailed tools versus the other competitors oh yeah but then again uh, microsoft has xbox right so and it makes sense like the the meeting no i had with Mike, the meeting i had with microsoft for this server i said uh, it was someone from 1010 i knew the name from I, I searched his name because i usually search people's names from teams that i don't know right on the internet it was someone from 1010 who told me hey so you could do some interesting stuff with ai from our apis there's only and this is all public documentation guys you can just search azure game services and you can spend the whole night reading like i said before this is all public info there and at the end of the day it depends on where you want to deploy because of price price is the deciding factor but also stock for the chips for example, I deploy only Intel, and to me, Intel uh, Azure has been pretty good. For for AMD, uh, it's been a bit complicated. Sometimes you have to wait for some of the virtual machines, especially during the pandemic. With the with well, obviously with everything that's happening at TSMC and everything, but uh, I never had any stock issues, to be honest. Besides uh, Epic, for that matter. And comparing Azure with the rest of the public clouds, uh, Google, for example, it's really good. They have a lot of documentation. But they don't connect, for example, for my company, it doesn't make sense because we already use we already use Office workloads and Office 365 from ever before. So it would make sense for us to migrate from a, a on-premise um, data center to a cloud data center for, from Microsoft. Not just because we were already partners before them, but because they had a lot of good people there we already knew and they said hey you can come to the cloud if you want and we have all this documentation we have we can help you through the procedures we actually have deals with sap to help you for those types of workloads so it was a no-brainer for us to move in because we were already in microsoft uh, foundations okay so for a lot of companies like in the us it's cheaper to go aws i know a, a lot of companies okay to go aws so azure costs more typically but as yes but, but then again it depends like discs it's more it's more expensive on azure that's that's that Definitely, if you look at the tables, this uh, on Azure, it's mm-hmm. they're, they're the high performance ones, which is the ones I only use. Oh, but use. for like processing, for processing, AWS it's a bit. It, it, for processing, it I depends. For AMD, it's cheaper on the AWS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on, on Intel, it's a bit more expensive on AWS compared to Azure. But then again, these prices are relative because if you're a partner, they do special prices depending yeah. on the amount of machines. Like I'll give you an example. I, I, have a, I have a current project. I'm doing 16 machines. So since I'm deploying 16 machines in a row, they gave me like two for free, for example. But uh, mm-hmm. they, they, this is all Microsoft controls, all right? This is nothing. We, uh, if you go to AWS and you say, hey, I want to start a project. Okay. You want to do a project with us? Sure, you're a big company. How many projects do you want to deploy? 250. Okay, 250. Eh, I don't know, man. That's so that's small to be a partner. So here's the price table. And then you go into Azure, mm-hmm. which you were already a partner before, and they say, hey, you know what? 50% off of that is gone then. now. Go ahead. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, too, because in automotive, some companies and suppliers had way better prices the higher you went up. A company I worked for specialized pretty much in mid-tier pricing and some of the higher tier, but we weren't going to compete with mom-and-pop shops on dirt-cheap, small amounts of servers, nor could we compete with the biggest companies, you know, and, like, manufacturing tens of millions yeah. a year, necessarily. It makes sense. And the second reason for us, at least on the perspective level from us, was that most of us, uh, not me, I wasn't there at the start, but when the project started, two years ago, uh, they, were, they already had people with top knowledge from cloud, from Azure. Mm-hmm. Of course, they, they knew a couple of AWS, but they were masters and experts at, uh, at Azure that they had already before when it started. So it was a no-brainer. It always depends at the end of the day 
of the, the type of people you have in your company, what the management wants, because it's the management that decides, right? <laughs> and, and the people that you have, because at the end of the day, if you go to a service that nobody knows, that means it's time to get everybody up on, on learning how to use the tool, you know? And that's a deciding factor. You touched on it. I, I want to move into this part of the conversation. Quick Jumper writes in and says, how long does it usually take AMD to fulfill delivery on products? I read somewhere that Intel delivers it in a matter of like two weeks. And with AMD, customers are often waiting three months. Mm -hmm. What is your experience? Yeah, let's talk about that and why you would use Intel over AMD or vice versa. Okay, so first of all, it starts with the workload. When you decide to deploy a virtual machine on the cloud, it depends on what you want. For example, for my main workload, it's SAP. There's only Intel for me. There's no choice. I, the only decision I have is I'm either picking Skylake, Broadwell, Cascade Lake, or Ice Lake. Because my workload binaries only work on Intel. This is, and right. honestly, I have nothing to say about that because it works really well. It's amazing. Optane, like I said, it's a godsend. <laughs> For us, it's amazing because our uh, our Ana database works on in memory. So of course, Optane mm. would be the best choice for us. Uh, but for our mixed workloads, which uh, which are neutral, I call them neutral workloads. It's what you, we usually call them. You can decide what it is, and there's two factors here. First of all, is stock. So are these, is this VM ready for us today? Because we need it today. Okay, there is mm -hmm. uh, 500 of them. Uh, maybe not, maybe 250. And, I'm, and you talk to your engineer and you say, hey, do you want 250 Intel and 250 AMD? And he's like, no, man, I want uh, uh, the same product because I have to deploy them. They, they give the, the machines to me and I have to, to start the deployment process, the file system process, the, 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 the software installation process. For example, for Red Hat, the type of workload that you do on Linux, Linux Red Hat, you have to install the, the appropriate libraries for it. Okay, so this is the most important factor. It depends on your workload. And on the pricing, again, obviously AMD is cheaper. We, we, we switched most of our neutral workloads to it, around 33 to 37% are AMD, and we'd made insane mm. savings. It's not like you hate AMD or some stupid Oh, thing. man, I don't. I wish I could put SAP on it. I would get a really nice bonus at the end of the year <laughs> if I could go to management and say, hey, guys, we saved 300K from switching from Intel to AMD. Oh, that's great. Here's a bonus for all of your for all your team. But no, sadly, it isn't the truth, and my workloads are Intel only. And I suffered quite a lot with Intel. Uh, but touching on the support, which is what the company, which what the, the Rita Mail said, uh, this is the important factor here. Is uh, it's a no-brainer that Intel has the best support from from all the uh, the, the, the CPU side companies. Uh, but the reality is is that we gotta look at it from an, a realistic approach, okay? Here's the thing, Intel is twice as big. They've been doing this ever since I was born, yeah. even before I was born. And uh, Intel is is really knee deep inside Microsoft and there's a lot of context. Like I'll give you an example. In the first time, when the first time I deployed Optane, I, I, I heard about Optane, I knew what it would do on the consumer side, but I never knew how crazy this was on the server side. Like, guys, you have no idea. The, the, the thing is literally instant. It's instant. Everything you mm -hmm. do on the server, it's instant. We only use it for production ones because it's the most expensive product of any public cloud. Optane is really only for production services, okay? This is the really important part here. It's really expensive. Not all companies can afford this. I know companies that run the opt-in budget for all their systems. <laughs> so here's the thing on the opt-in. There's that. It's really expensive. It's really amazing for if you're running an in-memory database or in-memory mm -hmm. uh, workload. Uh, and for AMD side, you know, uh, they, don't, uh, they don't offer anything on that. I'm not sure of any other type of workloads that use uh, so extensively opt-in. 
besides AI and uh, some big data stuff that usually that usually uses a, a data bank like a database to be used on mean memory, SQL maybe, but it depends on the type of workloads that you have. For us, we need the best. Simply that, okay, Icelake is out, no no issues, no bugs. Okay, it works with Intel. Okay, Azure supports it. Okay, let's go. Let's deploy. Let's scale out. Let's uh, if we need it, let's do it. Uh, there's no questions about it, you know. Uh, there's no budget for us because our our mission is really critical, so we need the best of the best. And for you, right, for these operations, it's Optane because you're putting so much of the stuff in memory. But whereas for AMD, if you just need to handle, you know, more basic stuff, it's like, of course you want to use AMD. They're far cheaper and more efficient. If you, Yeah, and, and the thing is, we, we actually had a couple of apps, that, and, and I'm going to tell you this because this is the reality of it, and even the Server Engineer podcast before I said this. We have a couple of legacy apps, uh, not SCP, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're natural work world, some, time, some old timesheets and some older stuff that we were really scared to move to AMD because we didn't know the behavior. So we tried and it didn't work. And the first thing we, we tried to up to the manager saying, hey guys, this isn't working. I know you guys only need this to consult for the audits and for the courts when you need them. And you, it's uh, uh, documents that you need for to save, basically. So what we did was put it, we, we put them on cold storage. We moved them back to Skylake. We asked, uh, mm. we asked for Skylake because it was the cheapest option and the service turned off. We just turn it on when someone from the other side of the world says, hey, man, I need these documents for court for the AX. Can I remove them? Can you prepare the system for it? And I just lift the system up and they remove it and I turn it off. Uh, so sometimes it doesn't work. But what we did was, and this is the important part, it was cheaper for us to rewrite the application that everybody was mm-hmm. using in Brazil, for example, and deploy it on AMD servers. Right. And that's how much cheaper AMD is getting. That's why Yeah. And for example, again, we saved 50K been... on that, for example. Just on that. Yeah, you, you know, and, and I think that's something that on the one hand, well, you there's a lot of programs that you can't just move from Intel. There are some that if you put in the legwork, you can. And that's why it's the thing I've been talking about since the start of my channel. It's so important not for AMD to be 20% better to in, than Intel, not for them to be 30. They need to be over twice as good so that it's cheaper to rewrite everything and move to AMD. And it is that much better right now, right? And that's yeah. why it's imperative that I, I think that's why it's imperative AMD keeps a 2x lead over Intel's server efficiency for at least a few years so they can get that, you know, war chest of support in server so that they can support their company. Because if they don't get to like 15, 20% of server and keep rolling competing with Intel after that, then Intel can kind of just bulldoze them again. And I don't want that. I want competition. And honestly, at the enterprise level, it's a bit different because the consumer says, okay, we should use, I want people to use this in enterprise as well. They should praise AMD and everything. But, you know, I'm going to be honest, in production machines, we don't have AMD because of the, if something happens on the hardware, it takes uh, two to three weeks. Because the first thing when you open mm-hmm. a, a ticket to Microsoft and you say, okay, I'm having this issue. The first thing they ask you and, you, and if you pick the category of hardware, you know the problem is hardware because you look at the logs and saw, okay, this binary is not compatible with this CPU or there's some sort of issue that could be worked. It's a side effect or something, a latency from uh, transcoding mm. or something. And we open a ticket to them and say, okay, there's this issue. Okay, I'm going to pass you this to someone that works with Epic. 
And we go there. We wait three days. He answers and says, okay, man, can you try this and this and this? Well, we, we went this process. We did a week. We did two weeks. And at the third week, he answered, look, uh, we did all the troubleshooting. This looks like a support, right? There's support chat from the consumer set. <laughs> we did all we could, so we're going to pass it to AMD. But there's a lot of traffic going in right now because a lot of people requested Epic. So you guys are going to need to wait in line despite being partners, which you don't stay in line mm -hmm. when you're a partner. There's a Microsoft guy coming in and, hey, man, what's up? Let's fix this. Yeah. Right actually here, shows right up now. and fixes it. Yeah, yeah, but for example, for AMD, they have a lot of engineers, but uh, it's not enough, you know? That's, it's, it's not enough, mm. and I think this is a support problem. This support problem happens here. Nobody's going to want a production machine that you have to wait, to wait five to seven days to get support if it's a microcode issue, okay? Because the platform is new. The platform is really new. And honestly, at the end of the day, it depends on the packages that you buy. If my company says, hey, we need 500 servers right here, right now, and if they're stock from Intel, I'll just take Intel. Because guys, at the end of the day, here's the thing. We need to get them done. By six, it has to be done. Mm -hmm. It has to be running and no issues at all. So th that's why I'll keep going with, with Intel. And like I previously said, I work with, directly with some Intel guys from Azure side, uh, some guys from Microsoft that they, I don't know if they were directly from Intel. Some of them were, but the recent ones have been people that maybe they hired. Uh, because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're directly from Microsoft. And what they tell me, hey, man, I had this issue back in 98 with this type of application, so we can fix this. And um, there was one of the issues that we had with Optane, where they're like, you know what, we're going to need to scale this because this is the first time issue we ever seen related to this. We know this could be possible. This was the issue we had on Optane, which was the buffers of the database weren't 100% full. And they were like at 87%. They weren't. They weren't passing 87%. And so they scaled the ticket up for for Intel. And uh, this was on a Thursday. On the Monday, hey guys, we have the patch ready. We're gonna deploy it uh, just for you guys. You try it out, and if it fixes your issue, and if we see more clients with the issue, we're gonna do we're gonna do a public commit uh, commit to push this update through all the customers using Optane that are having this issue. Uh, right, and I, from what I hear talking, to, and of course by now what, I've had the one guy I call the server engineer on like three times. I have another, uh, I've had an Epic person recently who's, I mean, God, he, he was uh, he was on like two months ago or something. And and then another person has, I have a, you're like, what, the fourth, fifth server person to come on Broken Silicon. One thing that I do hear consistently, though, is that AMD is getting better faster than people expected in their ability to support, both in sales and IT support for their products, right? Would you say that AMD is getting better over time, or are they just kind of swamped right now? Oh, no, it's improving a lot. It's vastly improving. I don't think that's I, what I hear. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it depends, you know, because if you're, if you're someone from Azure and your partner level is different from. Uh, you work with AWS or other platform. I think we're all gonna gonna have different uh, experiences. I know the the people with on-premise. This is from a guy I know who works on-premise and he only runs Epic. He did a switch six months ago, fully Epic Rome. And uh, you guys must be wondering why the hell are these guys always saying Rome? Isn't there more more Epics? Yeah, there is, but it's the most stable one. It's the one AMD has the most documentation about. It's the most that they know their stuff. It's the most that a lot of people on Stack Overflow and some other forums say, hey, it works with this because when we deploy we do the same thing as you guys when you have an issue on your local machine we we google search it <laughs> there's no other yeah. way i can open a ticket but i can't wait for the ticket i have to fix it now so i google search it and i see it and there's a lot of benefits uh going back to the the, the, to the on-premise person i know uh he has epic and uh, he has rome in it and he's really happy about it and he says every week talks to md and I was like, yeah, I had a bit of different experience. And he's like, yeah, maybe maybe AMD and makes sense that they treat 
on-premise customers differently because they've been doing this for years. And the cloud stuff, it's new to them. I don't think they deployed a lot of cloud stuff before besides GPU solutions back at the F1 days because it was the, the early start of the cloud and obviously Intel had like 90% of market share. I honestly don't think people should bring Doom to Intel on the enterprise because uh, I know a lot of companies who aren't moving. We know we know a lot of companies who aren't moving. Talked to mm-hmm. a lot of engineers who said, man, we're not moving because uh, we're really happy with Cascade Lake. Uh, personally, at my level, guys, uh, I had a lot of issues with Spectre and Meltdown during the uh, during the last few years, and there's performance yes. I've never got it back. There's performance on the on the legacy application. Which I'm not sure how much there is to say about that, except that you can also confirm what's been discussed on you know Broken Silicon with multiple guests. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Security issues were huge. They continued to be huge. They cost you a lot of money. It was still easier to just build bigger servers, unfortunately, than switch to AMD right away. Yeah, and and one 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 thing with, uh, that we did with this, we we took a different strategy. So what we did was like, okay, so are these servers used usually weekly, monthly? Where are they? Okay, this one is mm-hmm. monthly. Okay, it's going to stay on Skylake. It's only going to be turned twice a month. We'll leave it there because it's cheaper, and we don't need more than one user at a time. Okay, then we'll scale it out. We'll scale it in for the smallest server possible, and that's it. We have machines on Broadwell. We have machines on Skylake. We're not moving them because Azure, uh, Microsoft has them on their rack, and they're like, hey, man, this is a euro a month. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Okay. Cheap. You know, of course, for the, the the machines that we use daily, that we still use daily from back then from Skylake and Broadwell, they got upgraded. We move a lot of stuff to Cascade Lake. Cascade Lake was a really good release, guys. Despite a lot of people complaining about it on the enterprise, we're really happy right now with it, especially on SAP. We're really happy. There, there's some huge, uh, not huge, but there, there's some kind of uh, high CPU spikes on it. But uh, mm-hmm. th- it has been confirmed that it will be fixed in Isolake. We're currently waiting Isolake deployment. We only tested one thus far because they're not all fully available as we want. Because since it's a template on Azure, you got to pick from the template. So we got to be really sure. And we only use memory-based ones for SAP. So we're waiting on Skylake to be certified because these machines have to be certified. Again, it's SAP workload is an exclusive ERP workload that works across HR, logistics, warehouse, uh, whatever, financial. Uh, it's it's uh, success factors, which is for HR for timesheets. This is very critical stuff. Okay, If I lose one of these servers, I have financial mm-hmm. guys on top of me saying, hey, I need to close the month. These servers need to be up. No questions. So that's why we always go with what makes sense? We we like Cascade Lake because it has the amount of documentation when compared to Skylake and Broadwell, but doesn't have any security issues. Did we lose performance compared to Skylake? Uh, maybe because because uh, because Intel didn't mm-hmm. dev- involve a lot in these last few years. But is it safer than Skylake and Broadwell? Hell yeah, it is. So that's why we're gonna keep doing it. And of course, Intel has adapted the price. We're not seeing the amount of prices that we were seeing before, even on SAP, yeah. even on exclusive. Intel workloads, which again I have to reinforce because it's exclusive. No, you can't install it. The binaries don't yeah. work. Period. You are either Intel or Intel. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and you're not going to switch ERP because it's it's more expensive to get out of an ERP system to go to Oracle to use whatever than just stay with what you are and need it. So for me, honestly, I want to see Intel compete on both the enterprise and the consumer. For enterprise, what I want is more security at hardware level. And I think I yeah. like touch touch on that, and I'm really happy with it. And that's why people are so excited about ice. Like, I think people just, again, it's like, no, but, well, and you know, actually, and something else to touch on, too, that I thought of just now is, 
You know, when it comes to the concept of being easier to scale out, to not switch to AMD, people need to remember how many people are just using Azure, AWS. It's like, it's not like you handled all of the scaling out at your company. It's like, we have the code, we handle it, we lost performance. Microsoft's bothering with the making the servers bigger and adding new ones to like Spain or something. They're the ones doing this. Not you. You just worry about the code for a lot of your programs. Not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them. And so it's like, yeah, I guess let's just buy more Azure servers, right? Like Because yeah. it is it is much easier when you're not literally building the servers. It's the point of using the cloud is they're handling all the hardware for you. Yeah, and there's failures, you know. That's something I've experienced in the past year, which is when I, I, got, uh, I got experience with most of the failures. And it's pretty cool what they do with the public cloud. So one weekend I was out for holidays and I came back on Monday and I saw that one node, because in Azure, the data center works by nodes. So there's a node of SSDs, right? So if one node fails in Eastern Europe, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? So what happens is that Azure and Microsoft automatically switch the node. They switch you, they copy you, they, they make a clone, an instant clone, because there's always a clone ready. They're doing snapshots every minute if it's necessary. Uh, you can kind of control that. Uh, and they pass you on to another node, and they start you the service automatically, and they send you an email and open a ticket saying, hey, man, we had a local hardware issue on this data center. It was not, it was not just you affected, but this, this SSD on this row on the data center, like, for example, L4, which means 4-4 on, on the L side mm-hmm. of the room, all of them got affected, and we switched you to the M node. You should expect, like, 0.3% or 0.1% latency. <laughs> delay, for example, but uh, we should be able to fix this up. And then when once there's an hardware local guy going there physically, they say, hey, a real human went there and switched the node. So we sent you back. You're back on where mm-hmm. you were. And this is the type of support you don't have to worry because I remember my bosses, they usually speak about this on, on lunch times because I, I'm much younger. I'm less than 40 year old. So uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience with data center. I worked at less one. Less than 40 years old, not less than four years. No, old. no, 40, 40. I'm less than 40. <laughs> and these guys here that work with me, they're 16, 15. They, they were at the data center. They're like, man, you saw that issue on Monday. Remember when it was back in the day? They called you at 3 a.m. You had to get your coat, mm-hmm. go to the data center, pass through the biometrics. Uh, authentication process, go and talk to the security guard, show them that you're not a fraud guy, get in there, uh, get your your proper clothes to get in there, uh, be careful with the cooling system to not to not get you freezed or anything, <laughs> go through there, deactivate the rack, take the disk off, then do all the software side with your laptop. Yeah, and it's like 7 a.m. and guys, we're done. Now it's instant. So yeah, at the end of the day, it saves a lot of pains for everybody. And uh, and you can work from home, which on my department, we all we all work from home. We're 100% course, home, yeah. home, home office, even before the pandemic. So my team is, uh, we're mobile. And that's uh, where I think we're going to touch the next subject on the ARM laptops. Well, so actually, a reader mail that I want to throw in now is AC666 writes in and says, with my uncle recently doing up his home networking and setting up a Plex server to watch content on his off hours, he travels a lot. What are your views on people hosting their own private clouds? Is this something you endorse? Is it something you do yourself? And again, thanks for coming on. Keep up the great work, guys. 
Ah, uh, thanks for the question. And honestly, yes, I have a I have a Black Server at home. <laughs> I have a Plex, I have a Synology NAS at home, and I and I I, I use it as a Plex server, obviously, for stuff and uh, for photos as well and videos from holidays and stuff. I have my own cloud at home. What I usually recommend to people is that you should definitely go this way because uh, due to data encryption and stuff, you know, it's there's nothing better than our own personal cloud. But just make sure it's not connected to the external internet. That's my advice that's what i do i have a synology one i'm really happy with it especially with the 4k hdr encoding uh, the new ones are really great i really wish to use amd but it uses intel and i got it but it was a good price so it is what it is <laughs> i still run intel at home i have an 8700k which i still haven't upgraded but, but you say you want to upgrade. Oh, to I me, do, right? I do. I was actually, I'm very excited for what comes next from Zen. Like, I, I want to see competition. I really wish SAP had workloads with AMD, because if that happens, man, uh, tomorrow I'll switch everything, you know. And that's the thing. I can just keep switching. There's no problem for me because if it's cheaper, it's always cheaper for me to hire someone from uh, any consultant from Asia or something or even India and do the, and make them do the work and switch. And I can still be busy with my Intel machines and have someone working for, uh, for the AMD machines. Well, let me move on then to a few more technical questions before I think maybe we round it out with uh, gaming stuff again. QH Freddy writes in and says, tangent to the Octane topic. I've recently been doing some research on serial memory interfaces like Gen Z, CXL, and I think most importantly, AMI. One of the things that I always saw brought up by the IBM guys with respect to AMI or OMI is that you can basically attach whatever memory you want through the buffer chip. This is particularly in contrast to the present implementation of Optane, which basically just uses DDR4 bus, so you need to dedicate memory channels to use the Optane DIMMs, thus losing DRAM capacity and bandwidth. How does this affect the guys specking out the servers for the data centers? Do you think that would get a big advantage out of AMI and having a DIMM with, say, 256 gigabytes of DRAM backed by one terabyte of persistent memory relative to what Intel is currently offering? Maybe you'd like to talk more about the opportunities you see with serial memory interfaces in the future, be it in large data centers or at a smaller scale, you know, memory desegregation, maintenance aspects, uh, separate upgrade cycles for memory and compute, more flexibility with memory types and in near memory compute. And he does put a question mark at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I had this question beforehand, so I, I was actually very happy to hear someone talk about OMI because I only know three people in this world who ever discussed this with me. So it's always an interesting topic. I do have IBM, uh, IBM systems uh, with me. I manage a couple of them. But the reality is that uh, two of, there, there's two topics here. The first one is to get people who know how to, to handle this. I'm a very basic user with IBM. I know ASX, and I, I work a bit with it as well. But the, 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 the situation here is that uh, on the cloud, on Azure, where we are right now. So the thing is, we, we have mostly x86 there, and that's where we decided to go from for our workloads. So that was the deciding factor. We still have these machines here. Some of them are for government contracts, which I won't go about. Uh, some, some of them are just the normal old machines that are still being upgraded by IBM guys. This, this, is, this is stuff on-premise, obviously, and this is stuff that we don't touch. 
we don't have the capabilities or the knowledge for this. We have some consultants from IBM, people in their 50s who go there and do all the work. They sometimes uh, grant us some, old, some new machines that haven't been announced publicly. And they say, hey, check it out, huh? two seconds faster. And like, yeah, sure. But for the workload that we have, like it's, uh, this, is just for consult- this is just for viewing. We're not editing files here. This is just some old files that we have on PowerPC. This is an old architecture that, uh, not, not old, it's current, and it's still very supported and certified by SAP. But uh, we move on to x86 because it's where most of our team has knowledge and it's most where and it's where most of our management wants us to go because if we are to hire someone the first thing we're going to ask is do you know unix for example do you know x86 do you know intel do you know amd oh yeah sure definitely you grew on it on the last 30 years but if you grew on asx and uh, ibm it's a different picture and that's more of the older guy and these servers are usually only used for maintenance or for uh, for uh, data viewing, basically. But the question is very interesting because I love the memory. I, I saw some of the new stuff and uh, some of the and we have some of the current stuff. And they sometimes output 180 gigabit, gigabits per second. It's really cool stuff, you know. I wish it was more widely spread and something that we use on a lot of workloads. But the reality is that it's just not very accepted besides certain specific stuff, mm-hmm. usually high clearance stuff because IBM has a lot of security and they're really good at what they do. So this is usually stuff that it's just sitting there in the corner and nobody interacts with it, which is sad because I, I really love that architecture. I, I, I work with someone, my boss, he's very, he, he, loves, he really loves this type of machines, the type of performance that it has. But the, the, the issue is being power angry and not being widely available for all types of workloads. But he, he, he has some really he has some really good insights into this, and he usually tells me, "Hey, man, I wish this was more widely used." Because have you seen the capabilities of this? And he and he once asked me, "Hey, do you know anything with IBM?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, PS, the PlayStation Three, right?" He's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know why the ship was like that? And he was like, oh, what, a server ship? Yeah, it was a server ship at first. Yep, just like with the Series X. Uh, I, I really think people are missing the parallels between the Series X and the PS3. There are quite a few. Oh, yeah, but that, that ship was insane. The only problem, the only shortcut there oh, yeah, was the ps so I say problems. <laughs> yeah, it was a really sick ship. My boss usually tells me that that ship was uh, was actually used in a couple of systems back then, uh, from the early 2000s, where SAP was used widely there. Uh, not anymore, sadly, but the, the 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 new one. I've seen the new one. Uh, I don't touch it much because I'm very limited on ASX. <laughs> because the reality is that every time I work with something, it's Unix. Uh, I wish I had more experience with it. I know the basic stuff, the the maintenance stuff. I don't know how to deploy. I mean, it's Pretty much the same thing, but it's different because it's ASX. But yeah, the memory stuff, it's very cool, very cool. And honestly, I'm very excited for for where Optin goes next. I'm really worried about what it happens to it because, um, for example, on Intel, uh, for the Mm. enterprise, it's really good and people love it and people with money go for it. There's no doubt about it. But since we lost Optin on the consumer side... The enterprise yeah. also shakes a they bit disabled, because we're uh, are they we're they worried. stopped making just so everyone knows Intel stopped making Optane drives that were in SATA and I believe they may have even stopped the NVMe versions as well. That yeah. basically consumer Optane's gone. It's going to be used for sticks and although again with that broken silicon with David Eggleston, it's like well yeah, but the ultimate goal is to use Optane I think with CXL. Yes, right? yes. So that's, I think in the that's short the reality term, of just, it, yeah. So mm-hmm. when we talk with with Microsoft people who are very uh, uh, deep into hardware and all this kind of stuff, they they usually tell us a roadmap. Hey, here's what's coming for x86. Here's what we're looking at at ARM. 
Um, and for memory, I'm like, hey guys, so I'm M-based. When I say something M-based on Azure, it's, it means it's memory-based. So my question is always pointed towards people who work with memory. And they asked me, I, I saw from your insights here that you work with Optane on SAP. And, and, and you're actually one of the few customers who use it. We would like to know your insights. And I'm like, man, this is instant. I can do a recovery, a database recovery on production systems in two minutes and a half with a really good uh, solution, a really good backup solution that we have from an external partner. And it's, uh, look, I, I don't even have time to make a sandwich in case of a production mm -hmm. system goes down. And for me, I'm really happy with it. It's pricey, yes. That's why I said it's only using production systems. So we have to cut corners for non-critical systems. But I'm very curious where we go, especially the next architecture for uh, for Intel with DDR5. I think that's what we're looking for mm -hmm. the most. We know it's going to be a bit pricey, but we're ready to be early adopters. It is, but they're going to use it. Every, some people I'm seeing are doubting it. No, guys, Alder Lake's coming out. It's going to use DDR5. There will be DDR4 options, but there's going to be DDR5 options as well, expensive or not. They're making it. It's coming, guys. Yeah, so, we, don't doubt it. We know from meetings that we previously had with vendors for on-premise mm -hmm. where we asked them, hey, so DDR5 is kind of happening. And they're like, no, it's already happening. We already have the ships. We have the ships for Micron. That's what, what, what they told us. And we're doing tests. Uh, we're seeing what makes mm -hmm. sense. We're talking to Intel. Uh, I don't know about AMD. The, this vendor I talked to only sells this uh, yeah. Intel chips. And what he told me, it told me it was, yeah, it's ready for enterprise. We're planning to deploy them at the end of the year for early adopters. Uh, we, uh, they always say, we suggest you to test only on sandboxes machines, but we'll simulate on a production environment because if I can get the, 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 the full potential of DDR5 out of our servers, and if Intel does provide ice lake with DDR5 or something else entirely, which I hope they do, uh, because we really need a jump. I'm going to be honest. We really need a jump. If it wasn't for for Optane in the last uh, few years. I think years. you're waiting for Sapphire Rapids if you want it in servers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sapphire Rapids is something we've been discussing uh, in, uh, at Azure meetings in, in my, uh, with Microsoft. And they said that it's coming. That it's coming that we should look forward to it. Because they know they're going to lose our service as well if we if we decide to go to Amazon. All they... hands on deck for Sapphire Rapids right now, by the way, at Intel. Just so everyone's listening. Like, all hands are on deck. For Sapphire Rapids and Alderlic, that is all they care about to a certain, basically, right now. I know they're they're going to be widely available because they told me the because I usually tell them, hey guys, here's the thing, we we need more performance. We always need more performance, you know, and it's just not mm. from a memory side. We I can tell you that on weekends, especially on early mornings, we have a lot of background stuff going on. And there's sometimes mm. in Cascade Lake where it hits 95 and 97, and we're on the highest spec vCore machine, you know, so. I mean, I want to be idle 90% of my time if I could, you know, on the CPU cycles. Yeah. But the reality is that it's impossible right now. In these last five years, it just means, and this is the reality of a lot of companies, especially in SAP. This is what we discuss. We we discuss a lot this optimization. This this has been the word for the last three years, optimization, because there's no CPU upgrades. Okay. So uh, there, there isn't much. So we just guys, there's no junior developers here. Every time a junior developer makes a, a line, I want to make sure it gets reviewed. This is the conversation that. We have weekly. Everything has to be optimized because we can't take any chance. Because it, 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 we just need a, a junior developer to fill one part of the code, and then the background job just steals all the resources indefinitely. We do have security parameters to not allow a job to take more than, say, 50% of the CPU core cycle. But if something like this happens, and there's like three of them or ten of them, we, we reach 90%. And I've seen them happen during uh, during the week. I, and even and it's 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 the most on the weekends when it's like for example warehouses where there's a lot of stuff going on. 
a lot of jobs producing data, a lot of stuff because we have clusters. We're always distributing data between another server in case one fails. We have a replication to another server, to another cluster. Not like, for example, imagine if one of the data centers in Europe falls. We have a DR, which is a disaster recovery uh, abbreviation. This means that everything we have on the Northern system goes back to the West. So we can, mm. so people can continue to work. So the warehouse doesn't stop because the first thing I was ever told when I joined this job back in 2015, uh, 2014, it was, this can never stop. The warehouse can never stop. If we stop, we're losing money. Oh yeah, warehouses. I mean, well, I want to round out that conversation though with different memory types. So Carbon Cry writes in and asks, what do you think about serial memory interfaces? Technologies like CXL, IBM's Ami have advantages over current parallel memory paradigm over the current parallel memory paradigm. You can attach flash as persistent memory. You could use any DRAM chips, DDR, GDR, even HBM maybe, and combine them. It would require a custom chip or FPGA in the middle, but I would expect hyperscale would exploit this opportunity. And you could also disaggregate compute and memory far more than ever before, which could make the logistics of building up, maintaining, and updating a data center far easier. You could have all the memory in one specialized rack instead of spread out in each node. How will these opportunities change the various types of data centers from smaller private settings all the way up to cloud and hyperscale? I think for the cloud ones, especially the the Microsoft Azure uh, and Google and AWS and Alibaba, which don't sleep on it, trust me, on Alibaba. They're really growing mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff moving in. We can look at the, at the consumer front as a perspective of what's coming to enterprise. The NVIDIA deal, mm-hmm. there's something going in there, okay? Because I'll give you an example. I have people who do GPU workloads, and every time we need a, a GPU server, we have to order a GPU with Epic or with something Cascade Lake, and we don't need the, the CPU performance. That's one big issue. That's why we're looking into the, the, the NVIDIA deal, and we're like, okay, this is interesting. They can give us a Tesla type of the, of GPU and give us like an ARM CPU that doesn't... Uh, that runs lower and it's cheaper to run. That means that the virtual machine on the data center will be cheaper and we'll still get the GPU performance we need. We're just saving on the CPU, which we we really don't need. So on the GPU front, I'm really excited about that. On the memory side of things, there's some cool stuff that Microsoft has been discussing, just like the, the, the interesting cooling underwater that they've been developing. Uh, there, there's a lot of type of technologies like that that they don't usually come public. So I was really surprised about them coming public because the cloud business is very competitive. There's a lot of spying around. This is stuff that we've been hearing <laughs> throughout the halls. Yeah. There's a lot of spying, especially, you know, you know who schematics showing up in the interwebs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. There, there's a lot of corporate spying, just like before, guys. We just don't see it because the, now we have a lot of uh, hidden stuff within the internet and uh, corporate spying exists and that's happening. And one of the things I know that uh, it's happening on the memory side is that we need better memory. And IBM has been pushing that a lot. Intel has been pushing that a lot. Optane, I think it was the biggest evolution of memory that we have seen in the last few years, despite its price for enterprise. It's like I was saying, if Meltdown Inspector happened, like it happened, and if Intel didn't come out with Optane in the meanwhile, between that time period, I think enterprise was really pissed. You know, because... Yeah, I mean, I've heard that... And and that's why they're desperate to get Sapphire Rapids out so they can compete and maybe beat Zen 3 and at least because if Zen 4 were to come out before Sapphire Rapids is out there, Intel has pissed off people so much that if it weren't for a few key things, their support, 
Octane, the fact that some code only runs on their stuff. They would have lost far more market share than they already have. And a lot of this is momentum, but it won't be momentum for long. Like you said, right? AMD's getting better. AMD's adding new features. AMD support is increasingly good or better than it used to be. Yeah. People want to switch. <laughs> it's up to Intel to make sure they get good enough, right? If uh, if tomorrow ARM showed up with something much better than x86 and say, hey, guys, everything runs here, everybody would switch. Sure, it wouldn't hit mm-hmm. production maybe during the first three months, obviously, because... It, yeah, when money's involved, there are no fanboys, yeah, uh, right? <laughs> it's like I usually say, guys, look, uh, I'll give you an example. I actually wanted Optane to run on a quality machine, a test machine that I have, because I wanted to run some tests. Management came and said, hey, this is not happening. This Optane module is just more expensive than 400 of our servers you're simply not putting opt-in there you know so if if someone shows up with something cheaper and it runs just like on the consumer market we're going to switch obviously it's going to take a time it's going to take a few years it usually works just like uh, everybody yeah. have been saying on this show four to five years it's the the lifespan of a of a server usually smaller if you're running with infinite money two years to 1.5 to 2.5 years. But this happens because you need more performance, more and more and more. That's why IBM is still an option for special uh, companies. I know a lot of companies that still run IBM because they're the best. Look, they just got two mm-hmm. nanometers down and I'm sure some some clients are going to get it. No, they're on two nanometers and they freaking ship something on two nanometers. Samsung said they were on five nanometers like three years ago. They're not. I, I just want to throw that out there because people do keep going, oh, they're on two nanometers yeah when i can buy an ibm chip on two nanometers that's when i'll say they're on it yeah otherwise yeah. as far as i'm concerned they're not for the consumer no for the enterprise i'm sure there's business uh, because for example like i said i have power pcs that they show capabilities way above anything we have in x86 so their secret sauce there it's a really good architecture like i said it's just mm-hmm. not widely used because it's not in the best interest of these companies like intel and amd which are the market leaders obviously ibm has just stayed behind you know ever since the mac has left power pc and the console as well uh uh, hmm. It, it kind of got on the back, but it still works for supercomputers, which is at the end of the day, the, the customers with the most money. All right. So that's the important stuff. I think a lot of stuff that's going to happen in terms of custom stuff, because if you look at high silicon and Huawei, this is something to really look out because they're doing some really interesting stuff and they have infinite money backup guys. They, they have a lot of stuff from, <laughs> from Tencent and from all the other state companies from China. So uh, high silicon. From a communist government who will spend endless money if they need to. I mean, if there's infinite money elsewhere in the world, uh, people are always going to try to push like the whole story of SMIC, the company yeah. in, in China trying to do UAV and getting people from Holland, uh, from Netherlands to China. This is something that has been discussed in the semiconductor industry for the last two, two years. That China is trying to get more people into SMIC to get uh, down to to seven nanometers with the UV machines and stuff. So this is all this is all really interesting stuff, and I think we're going to see ARM doing a big jump. I honestly never saw, I honestly never foresaw this happening. When, when Apple, the whole M1 situation, I have like 15 laptops here right next to me. They're they're all ARM stuff, most of them from Qualcomm on Windows, from Lenovo, from Dell, and and they're still not up to par to what we have right now on x86. But I have mm-hmm. my M1 and this is my daily work machine alongside my my Dell Latitude and for most stuff I just run on the M1 and honestly I get 15 hours of battery life for me this is a mm-hmm. dream there's only thing one missing here that's a 5G, a 5G modem inside so I can put a 5G and go to the beach to work without a personal hotspot <laughs> honestly but uh, that's the reality of stuff for ARM ARM is happening and this push from Apple I, I really like this push from Apple I think it was really important for the consumer side and it's already happening in Windows. We're seeing uh, daily commits on Windows. Like, for example, mm-hmm. this week, World of Warcraft supported Windows 
uh, Windows on ARM to play the game. Obviously, there's no hmm. there's no good chips yeah. to play the game yet. Obviously, but uh, this it's happening. It's happening. It's, a, it's this happening is good. slowly but surely. I, I'm worried about Microsoft. I'm really worried. I, I think the Surface Pro X was an interesting device. We have one here. I have one here with me, actually. Uh, I'm going to send it back tomorrow. Tomorrow, no Monday. But uh, I really liked it. But uh, it's it's the, the experience, it's worse than on Rosetta on the M1, trying to simulate, emulate the x86 apps. We, I still have a couple of x86 emulated apps I still use. And it runs on the M1. But uh, then again, I'm very interested in what happens next. I think the next for the future, for the next five years on the so, enterprise. So why are you worried about Microsoft, though? Is it because you think that Apple, if they continue to innovate at a breakneck pace with their architecture, will make Windows look silly? Or like, what do, what do, you, Here's the what thing. do you mean you're worried about Microsoft? Here's the thing. Windows will never look silly. Here's the reality, because everybody <laughs> well, uses it. It's a monopoly, yeah. yeah it's a monopoly. It's the, everybody, people say, oh, the Mac is growing. Sure, it's growing. Hell yeah, it's growing. Thank God it's growing. It needs to grow. It's a, a great platform for developers, universal developers that deploy everywhere, okay? All the developers I know that deploy everywhere, they use a Mac, period. Because they can use mm -hmm. one device to deploy everywhere. This is the selling point for developers. For me, personally, it's the core being Unix. It's based on Unix. So for me, having a terminal with Homebrew installed on it and working, it's out of the box for me. I just have to, to install Homebrew. It works for me. And it's perfect. And it gives me 15 hours of battery life. That's why I love this MacBook Air. Uh, but, and the Thunderbolt, obviously. But uh, for Windows PCs, the performance isn't just there. And it's these Qualcomm ships. They, they're just terrible, you know. And I hope Microsoft, with their custom hardware, comes forward. I know Google is doing their own their own silicon mm. uh, th this news actually hit the uh, actually hit the, the press today I actually knew about it a couple of months ago uh, someone commented on me someone who works with Google that they're trying to do a big push for silicon after seeing what Apple can do because everybody thought Apple would hit a uh, stone wall you know and I thought too, you know, because uh, Apple was never a hardware company at the SOC level, but they just got so big talent. They got so many big talents. I mean, there. look, they, that's why I keep telling people. It's like, who would compete with Intel long term? And it's like, I don't know, maybe Apple. I mean, all they need is money. They have money. They can hire engineers to build CPUs and they could buy fabs. I mean, long term, Apple's a real... A real force to be reckoned with in silicon. I yeah, think. it's obviously not going to hit uh, overall market because they only hit uh, with the MacBook Air. Like, for example, I saw it today. Not any time yeah, soon. Yeah, not happening. No. But 50%, uh, sure. You, you guys have to understand that. Like vendors like Dell, HP, Lenovo, we do these deals three years, five years for laptops every for every corporate member that we have in our company. And nobody's going to switch to the Mac because there isn't any IT good management platforms for this, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I have I have my M1 Mac from the, my company. I don't have anything installed from them. They can't even look at it. They only shipped it to me. They bought it and they shipped it to me because they can't control it. Sure, there's some MDM f to control it, but my company doesn't care because it's super complicated and they got one guy to do, like, what? Of course, there's, there won't be a huge deployment of Macs. I know one company in the U.S. that have a huge deployment of Mac 1 minis for a server. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a one-case or two-case scenario that I know, actually. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not happening for the average consumer. And like, for example, I, I, I want to ask if anybody knows any laptop with a better keyboard than the Lenovo ThinkPad because I, I I have a Lenovo ThinkPad here right next to me. I had a Lenovo laptop a while ago. It, uh, they always do have they almost always do have really good keyboards. And yeah, say. this thing is a joy to write on. I have the Carbon X1, the small one the one that, that came mm -hmm. out recently. They sent us to test and honestly we, we love ARM. We love uh, the M1 our team, the 15 guys who got to test the M1 they really, everybody loved it. There's some people who don't like Mac. Uh, they wanted Linux on it and it's not really working out of the box yet. 
So most people opted to get the, this Lenovo ThinkPad, and honestly, I'm, I think I'm going to stay with it because uh, I really like it. It has 4G, so and 5G. I think it has, yeah, it has a 4x4 modem 5G here, so I can just swap it in, put it of a, a card from a carrier, and go work everywhere with it. So this is what I'm going to be with it for my daily driver. But yeah, I, I think Apple has done a really big step forward. I like, I liked it, and honestly, I'm going to give you a really good example, guys. I have a 16-inch MacBook Pro, like I was telling Tom. And this thing is sitting here on the corner because this MacBook Air is better than it. <laughs> and this 16 yeah. was three thousand dollars for me. I bought it in the US when I was there last time. And this thing, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's trash compared to this fanless laptop running an ARM chip that it's an iPad CPU and GPU combined in SOC. You know, so yeah, it's the future right here, and I can see it happening for the consumer, especially if it hits cheaper prices. I, I'm looking at it right now, and the MacBook Air goes for eight eight hundred and fifty on Amazon. So. Take it what you well, what you want. Right you know, when it comes down to it, it's the overall product that is what competes. You can like the M1, you can like this, you can like that, you can like AMD, you can like Intel. Oh yeah. But yeah, if yeah. an Intel laptop, even if it uses a 14 nanometer Comet Lake chip, you know, I have a studio laptop that runs Intel and Nvidia, and it's like, oh, unfortunately, the AMD competitor from a in that NV15 at the time didn't have as good of a screen, didn't have as fast memory, and cost more without having as good of a oh, graphics exactly. card. Oh, yeah. exactly. It's not my fault. It's the overall product you buy. And I think when it comes to Microsoft can, like staying competitive with Apple, I think a lot of that in the short term is just going to hinge on Zen 4 and Alder Lake being very good. It's, it's the one thing I do push forward, though, when people bring up the M1, is it's like, well, the M1 came out, you know, before Zen 4, before Alder Lake. So yeah, let's yeah, see how good yeah, those definitely. are before we say and on five nanometer, everything. Don't forget. Which is yeah, exactly. Note, yeah. So, I mean, of course it's better. It's a custom-built thing running their own <laughs> With OS. With integrated memory, let's not forget this. <laughs> it's yeah. actually pretty well, cool. Let, <laughs> Let's see what Alder Lake and Zen 4 are. Those will be the fair comparison. Oh, yeah, no, no, but I completely agree, Tom. Like, for example, like I said, I picked my Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon for my daily driver. Mm -hmm. And the, the interview I'm doing this on, it's a Lenovo Legion 7i with a Comet Lake inside and an R3X uh, 270 in it, Max-Q, which is my gaming laptop on the go. And, uh, and I'm really happy with it. I'm not going to replace it anytime soon. Like you said, it's a, it's a great product. I can game on it. I can do whatever I want with it. And it has a six hours battery life. It's enough for me because I'm always plugged in anyway. Uh, so yeah, but for my, my trips, when I need to work, I'm taking my ThinkPad, which, which is x86, mm -hmm. so it's 100% compliant with everything I use at work. Despite having a VM on the on the cloud, I, I still like to do local stuff. So I like the M1. I think it's great for the average consumer who browses Facebook and, browse, and uses Office. It's great for business guys, for sales guys who just mm -hmm. want to show off their laptop in meetings and stuff. And it's a great device. I mean, I love it. 15 hours battery life. I've done two days of work on it without having to charge it. But the reality is that I still need x86 for certain apps. Okay, This is my reality. So it depends on the reality of each person. And corporate right. will always deploy... Lenovo's and Dell's and stuff because it's a business line of laptops. They'll never deploy MacBook Airs, obviously. Very rarely. I remember the CEO at my last company. He was allowed to use a MacBook, but of course he probably didn't need to do. It's a special all people the, always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, so I think we've gone through servers, ARM, gaming, Xbox. Um, I have a few remaining reader mails I could just blow through, but I mean, is there anything else subject you specifically want to get to? I mean... 
You said you're willing to talk about all types of different things from server, game development, hardware. Is there something we haven't touched on that you specifically want to talk about before we start wrapping up? Hmm. Actually, one question for you <laughs> from my side. I wanted, okay. What do you think about mid-gen upgrades for the consoles this, this, this generation? Because this has been a, co- a conversation that a lot of people have been having. Honestly, for me, I don't think I see a point because 8K for me doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but uh, what, what do you think? I honestly, honestly really think about multi-die GPUs. I think that could be a way forward. Uh, well, right. You know, you could see a situation where Sony uses two compute units in like 2023, two compute, two triplets in 2023 and just doubles the performance or well, more than doubles, maybe the performance of the PS5. Um, in terms of mid-gen, though, what I would just say is nothing's coming out as a refresh this year, <laughs> certainly oh, and probably not next year. But I just think there's when you look at Microsoft's naming scheme, I think it's painfully obvious. Series X. The series, Series S. So I think they'll have the 2020 edition, like buying a car, and then they'll say they have the 2023 edition of the Series X. In terms of PlayStation, I know there's rumors of a 6 nanometer PlayStation SoC coming out, um, which I personally can't confirm. I did reach out to a couple people about that. I can't confirm it's real. It wouldn't surprise me if it was, but I think that's mostly to do with preparing dual sourcing between two nodes and because six nanometers design compatible with seven nanometer oh, yeah. and maybe making a slim version that they sell at the same time they keep making the seven nanometer version and 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 all i've ever been told consistently from the people that i really do trust about playstation stuff these are people that got me information you know about the metal gear solid remake the god of war reveal which metal gear solid remake is still a thing everybody i'll just confirm that it's just i have nothing else to add it's still a thing um but that there's no real talk about a PS5 Pro right now. Does that mean they won't make one? No. And they didn't intend to make a PS4 Pro when the PS4 first came out. So I guess what I'm saying in summary is I think Xbox is obviously going to make something by 2024, and this is their plan, and they'll just put in faster SSDs and faster processors and bigger graphics cards. That's their plan. Sony... Not so sure. I would expect they're going to release something because they need to to compete. But at the same time, Sony, I've really heard they're insisting on sticking to generations. So it would not surprise me if instead of doing a mid-gen refresh, they just had the PS6 come out in like 2025. Like they had a five-year gen like they used to have instead of these ridiculously long six to seven-year gens. That's kind of what I wonder if Sony will do, but I don't think they've made that decision quite yet. I don't think they will have until the end of the year. All right, that makes sense. And honestly, on the point of the games that haven't been announced, like man, Metal Gear Solid is it, it's part of my childhood, just like Siphon Filter and Ratchet Clank. <laughs> but honestly... Yeah, that, that's a rumor I check on for myself, guys, not for you. <laughs> I want that game to come out. Well, thank you, Tom, <laughs> for all of us. No, but seriously, I think that it makes no sense to announce games when there's no stock. They already got a pipeline of games like Horizon until the end of the year. I think Sony's in a really good position. And they're doing some, uh, from what I know from people who work in the cloud industry, that they're doing some big moves on the cloud front because since the the here's the thing i i, I know a bit about gaikai because I, I actually knew some guy who worked with gaikai i found out by surprise but uh he, he told me that that sh- that thing has to be renewed the architecture completely so i think there's going to be some really big news coming on that front 
special. In terms of backwards compatibility? Uh, I, I think it's towards more the cloud service, as in to compete with xCloud and maybe provide some sort of... Well, way. they're going to have to either way. And I think no matter what, you're going to see some big overhaul where they combine PlayStation Plus and PS Now or something with better performance and then at the same time announce backwards compatibility, potentially. At least if they're competent, that's what they should be doing because I, 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 I don't know what else they would be doing right now with everything we're hearing. The only thing I know really is from the technical side. I know they're restructuring the whole cloud process uh, on the background oh, okay. from the guy old systems because this guy that was hired is someone who worked with me uh, and uh, he told me that they're they're doing some reconstructing. He actually got to, to work in San Mateo's. He went to the US to work with them before the pandemic. And this was a while ago. Uh, guys, remember architecturing a cloud server. I know I got servers that will only be deployed in tr- within two years t- time frame if necessary. So this is just like uh, semiconductors. When you plan stuff, sometimes you only deploy it within two years. So yeah, let's see what happens. I- I'm very curious about this. I think um, I think there is honestly a good place to stop it. I mean, I know it's like pretty late where you are and. You know, this happens, though, where I get a, a, a guest on I haven't talked to before. Usually the first episode is extra long. So we'll see what happens here. I actually think what I'm going to do is take the back third and most of it and turn that into a die shrink for supporters. Oh, definitely. Uh, and then try to bundle those subjects together to be its own conversation piece there. You'll, you'll see the wizards of editing people when you hear <laughs> that come out. Um, but um, otherwise, I mean, I really want to thank you for coming on to discuss... Uh, you know, your background, deploying Xbox as a server API, which is something no one talks about enough, I think. Um, Azure, the benefits of Azure and its competitors, and of course, everything having to do with servers, CXL, Optane, all of that. I know that there's a lot here for the diverse set of broken silicon listeners. And then, of course, I think another diatric here just talking about the tech and the upcoming PlayStation stuff as well. So I think we'll do that. I mean, I want to thank you for coming on. I don't know. I mean, any any last words, anything to plug? I, I doubt so. You're an anonymous guest. I mean, anything to plug or any last things you want to say to people? From listening? my side, I would just like to thank the community. And I think there are some answers we didn't answer from the questions. So I can do it that offline and you can post them. But I would like to thank you and Dan and all the guests from the through the previous months and years because you've kept me company while traveling throughout the <laughs> throughout countries while I was working <laughs> so that was a and it was a very big oh, point yeah. podcasts are During such pandemic. a godsend for travel now it, oh, it's yeah. ridiculous I can't even I do I used to drive nine hours to college and it was just madness in terms of how bored I would get oh yeah I have two houses so I drive a lot six hours and uh, mm. the, uh, and just the, especially the off week with Dan it's just been awesome so I just like to thank you for that and I hope I can pass some knowledge on. <laughs> you did. Don't worry. So, yep. So, I mean, thanks for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me. And I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother. Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, 
Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Khorari, Frederick Lau, James Crasser, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Deseru, Daniel Hyde, Aguayimpa81, Nathan Mose, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Telos, Hey, there's a kitty. Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jane Rauner, Robert Ducks, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Hardforum.com, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elena, Nana, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dane Golanowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnival Bear, Denovan Russell, Zebra Zebras, Licky, Martin, Matt and Porsagey, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, DeHuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Samuel, Caillou Markelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Rodney, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Raff Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, Jacob Sankowitz, Kay Rads, Wakir Khan, Eshildar Epstein, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Lakata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malays, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Zajit, Shield TV Couteau, Dane P, John Wil- Wizink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jaskawiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1SS, and Jensen Huang. Thank you for supporting us, CEO of NVIDIA. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>